Download our app in iTunes and the Google Play Store. Welcome to the podcast. Dark mornings. Wheeler, Ollie, and Lecter. Mornings at the cabin. Mornings at the cabin, indeed. It is a dark morning. It's rainy. It's cold. Stay home if you can. Don't even go outside. You know what? Don't even open a window. Just turn on some some uh, uh, TV and, and watch or read a book. Stay warm. It is. I hate that this pole is in the middle of the screen. I hate it. Four point six degrees. I gotta. I gotta. I gotta. Like look over like two inches. What is this? Communist Russia? Um, it's a dark morning, but that's okay. We're going to keep you warm. Thanks for coming to hang out with us. If you're here already, good on you. If you're not, I hope you join us in a little bit. This morning was tough, so tough, that Lorne McGinnis started his run and then turned around and went home and then drove to work. That's what kind of morning it is this morning. It feels like fall, but I mean, we're a week into fall, so it should feel like fall, shouldn't it? Yeah, but this rain... Yeah. Enough. It's rain. It's cold. Enough. It's raining. It's pouring. The old man is snoring. You know that old tale from the sea? I do. Um, lots to talk about this morning. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, a local counselor stepped in it a little bit. Lecter and I are going to eh, talk about it a little bit. But uh, we don't need to dwell on the negative. We don't do that. I don't feel like I'm going to get a word in. (laughs) Nor should you. Nor should you. (laughs) I uh, just. mm. (sighs) Mornings at the cabin. We're just here to have a good time. Sometimes we skirt a serious issue and maybe have a comment about it. Uh, Maybe we'll get Ollie in a little bit later on to discuss some things. It's one of those shows where we meander. Mornings at the Cabin, the podcast. Mornings at the Cabin brought to you by Roar 4 Driving the North. Uh, we're a little preoccupied with the conversation kind of off mic. We're not going to bring it to the on mic just yet. Now, I know that's what you're not supposed to talk about. If you were a professional radio person, you'd be like, off mic, on mic, whatever. Um, we're here to subvert all radio expectations and uh, whatever. I'm sure we do that. In a, we do it a, really well. We do that in a morning, uh, uh, like a morning by morning basis. We do all the things that you're not supposed to do in radio. We talk too long. We uh, meander. We uh, improvise. And, uh, yeah, our breaks aren't 40 seconds long, and we don't talk over the intros of songs. It's all the things that you're not supposed to do in radio. But, hey, that's just this, this, just this show. And we're a little preoccupied with the, <laughs> the rest of the shows on Cabin Radio. The rest of the shows on Cabin are amazing. And you should listen to every one of them because they're just on point all the time. They're just great. They're great. Um. This one, not so much. This one is a heaping dumpster fire most of the time. But thank you for listening. We appreciate it. Um, you got anything? <laughs> we are preoccupied with something else. But I wanted to I wanted to temper myself a little bit. Well, so that's something. Well, just, should we just go with the something else? Yeah. So you posted in our group chat the other day. You came in, you came in hot. Mm-hmm. You were a, a steaming ball of gas. Ooh, as I am right now. I had a banana for breakfast. And you said, first break tomorrow. 
Okay. Stupid. <laughs> Known for getting away with saying stupid things. Yep. Out stupid yeah. himself. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then um, you added, can clean up the language. I could clean up the language. I mean, it was. <sighs> Nobody knew what you were talking about. Everybody knew what I was talking about by the by the time the message was sent, though. Uh, no one responded. I, no one ever responds <laughs> in our group chat. I could literally, literally go into our group chat and go, "Hey guys, anybody want to get together for a little get together?" And people, and then I'd, it would just leave on on red for like two days, <laughs> and then people like you, the little image of the, the the bubble image of somebody who's seen it will be under the under the message, and two days later, they'll be like, "Oh, I didn't see this." Ah. Oh, no one says that. Oh, they do too. They all see it. They all see it, and they just don't say anything. That's right. Um, uh, I don't think anyone knew what you were talking about. Though. Well, okay, yesterday, um, and there's well, I think we'll have a story about it later. I don't know. A lot of it, a lot of anger around the city this morning, and I, do, I can't, I don't really like to talk about this stuff. It's just, it's fun when you get to just rant a little bit about somebody. So, um, city councilor Niels Kong, uh, again, never remember how to pronounce his name. I don't think it matters anymore. Um, made some comments during during a, a Zoom council meeting that were. Hmm. Oh, what's the word without saying the F word? Stupid. Really, really stupid. Comparing the small the the struggles of small businesses in the city. This is talking about the shelter, right? So this is Aurora Village turning that into a, a sobering center, a shelter, a day home, day shelter, pardon me, and uh, for the next two years. And businesses being really against it. Now, I'm not. I'm not saying we're. we're I'm. Mean, I know what side I come out on. I'm pretty sure I know what side you come out on. We we need a place for for people to go. We do. A lot of businesses around the area, uh, not really feeling the love on that because they feel they weren't consulted. They feel it's going to harm their business, and I completely understand that. I do, mm-hmm. and I'm 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 empathetic to what they're talking about. And at the same time, we do need a spot, right? This happened with uh, a little bit with Overlanders when they put it uh, when they uh, used. Uh, um, the side door, yes. right? And but and then Overlander after that was like basically was like actually it was pretty well run. Not a lot happened. We were fine with it after. Yeah. But they they made a, they made a bit of a stink at the at the beginning, and people were kind of down on them. And now a bunch of businesses are making a stink. Now I told I talked to you about this yesterday. Whereas, even though that's only a block or two away, it is kind of out of the way, right? It's it's kind of on its own. It's it's right across from the cop shop. It's there's like one business right there, but then there's not really a lot of businesses running where yeah, Aurora no, Village is no adjacent. Right. Really. Other than Overland. Or anything right? like that. Yeah. So Aurora Village is literally surrounded by businesses. It's it's touching a building with a business. It's across the street from a new business. It's across the street from Coldwell Bankers. It's across the street from the grocery store. It's literally surrounded by businesses. Right. So a lot of businesses are up in arms about this. I can understand that. I don't agree with them. I need. I think. I think they need to work with the city to figure out a to 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 you know figure out a solution or whatever. Um, I'm not. I'm not down with all the letters that they're sending the MLA saying. But I get where they're coming from. Where it's just like we need to be consulted about this before you you know turn this into this for another two years. Right. And I if they it. feel like their business is not being protected, then they need to do that. Yeah. They and need. To, and I and I understand. I understand it. I don't agree with it, but I understand. It. Right. I mean, you would feel the same. I suppose. If you, but I mean, in, if you were in their position, you felt like the government was not looking out for, yeah, the, the health and yeah. well-being of your business, especially when it is already hamstringed. Of course. You know, yeah. you, you would you'd probably at least say, you know, send a letter and be like, hey, is all this being considered? Yes, exactly. So, obviously, there's a lot of backlash against that. 
Uh, a lot of people posting on Facebook, like, here's a list of businesses you never have to go to again. So this, they're, they're harming themselves. And at the same time, you and I and other people can understand where they're coming from. Right. Right. Even if I, even if I ag- agree with the fact that we need a place for these people, for, for underhouse people to go. Yeah. And add a, uh, for people with addiction problems to go and mental health problems to go. We need it. Mm-hmm. And it can't be on the outskirts of town. It can't be. It has to be in town. It has to be where, where people can reach it without needing a shuttle. It has to be, right? So that's tough. That's real difficult. I still don't know if I fully believe Fair enough. that. Fair enough. I, I, I don't know the logistics around it. I'm no sort of expert. I just don't know if it's a black and white. It has to be. I, I, you know? I mean, it's fairly, it's, 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 less, it's less gray than you think. So especially in the winter, you can't have a place where people need to walk outside the city or outside of downtown to get to it. Because right. you can't have everybody picked up by a shuttle. And if you have people who are, who are hurt, injured, or, or, or just, you know, too incapacitated to make it there, then you have people passing out in snowbanks or whatever. Like mm. this is, this is, you're, you're kind of, you kind of add to the issue when it's a further walk for, for people, I think. And this is what I've heard. And this is what I've heard. Under the people. current system, for sure. Understand. I mean, the thing is like, it's never been tried. Right. You know? Um, so, so obviously a lot of businesses not feeling the love on that one. Some are struggling, right? Because yeah. because of everything. Although they're struggling, although our pandemic here up until recently was fairly lax. Like we from May 2020 on, we basically were wide open for business other than tourism and and things like that. But right. for for within town you could go to businesses and do things. Up until recently, which is now we've we've reached 1000 cases, right? We've uh, we've had now 5 deaths. So we're at the worst part of the pandemic for us. Yeah. And um, so, Niels, uh, I guess trying to defend uh, small businesses made comments where he compared the struggle of small businesses to the 60s scoop, (laughs) which is so, so ludicrous, so ludicrous. Your business struggling. To make it through a pandemic has nothing to do, nothing to do with decades of theft, of of murder, of rape, of, of kids being taken away from their families uh, and and put into the foster care system or put into residential schools. We're going a little bit over time. I'm going to get get laid in the music, and I'm I'm just angry, and I'm angry on behalf of uh, uh, of indigenous people. I'm angry on behalf of my mother. I'm angry on behalf of uh, of the of other people who are angry. Um, and maybe I'm I'm not I'm not the person to comment on this. I'm usually not. I don't. We. This is why we don't touch on these things. I don't feel like I'm the person to comment on. It's time for it's time for Niels to go. Like a, a comment like that should be that should be like okay. You know what? I he's apologized or whatever. But like that's what he does every time he says something stupid. He says something stupid. He says something asinine. He says something. He says something incredibly arrogant or or just like completely out to lunch. And he goes, oh sorry, I didn't mean to offend anybody. Too bad. To be fair, at least he did apologize. Great, which is a he little- had to. There's no, there's no, there, like, what's he gonna do? Well, what's he gonna do? I mean, he he must have realized he made a mistake. Fine, but like the fact that that came up in his brain, right. the fact that he makes that connection and then says it publicly during a council meeting, it's a bad is just take. Nonsense. Yeah, it's a bad take. It's nonsense. But half the time, you know, when people make ludicrous statements, they double down. You know, when someone calls them out. So, obviously, Niels, at the very least, took a step back and said, 
I, I now I don't know what, how he worded his apology. Yeah, I, I hope it wasn't just. Well, he's a bit. He's sorry, a business owner. He doesn't want to struggle. He has to say sorry because what do you, what do you do? Well, like if you you double down on that and maybe you lose a contract. You double down on that, maybe you lose maybe you lose uh, something else. Maybe you have to resign from your seat on city council, right? So if you double down on that, maybe you maybe you lose money. So only right. but so maybe only when it comes to the money he might lose does he feel he need to apologize. Oh, he needs to be. back up on those statements because it's like, well, I don't want to lose any contracts and any money. He's obviously doing very well. He's not one of the businesses that is struggling. No, and, and he's not one of the ones that's immediately affected, potentially right. affected in the area either. Exactly. Like you say, he is he is defending the the business community in general. And I but get that. Just, you can defend you can defend businesses without without saying something so incredibly offensive. Well, exactly. I like it. it's a it's a bad hot take and I hope he genuinely realized that when he, you know, I'm sure he apologized does. or walked back his comments. I think maybe we just need to get away from analogies. We're just getting <laughs> yeah, we're just getting just really stop with bad the comparisons. At it just in like general. Exactly. If you don't have the language, right? And sometimes I find myself at a loss for words. But if you don't have the language to describe what small business dealers owners are going through during this and with this situation without being like, yeah, it's like the Holocaust. Um yeah. maybe be maybe just write something down before you do a hot take yeah. off the cuff. Because this is the thing. We keep on we keep on comparing things like what's going on in the pandemic to things like the Holocaust. We keep on things, saying things like, oh, ma- vaccine mandates are like Nazi Germany. It's like, no, it's not. It's a poor and, take. And then, and then we say things like this. This is like, well, this is just like residential schools all over again. And if we don't learn from these things, we're doomed to repeat them. We're doomed to repeat the 60s scoop because a small business can't afford to run. <laughs> and because a shelter wants to be, you know, wants to help people. Because a shelter, which is a direct <laughs> result of some of these things, this generational trauma, is being put up in, in a city that has an immense, yeah. immense mental health, uh, especially amongst the indigenous community, mental health and underhoused like crisis. Yeah. That's what we're comparing it to. You can have concerns without making ludicrous hot takes. Ludicrous hot takes. We are well over time. We got to get to McKenna Hadley Burke. She's going to do the news. I'm going to play a little Sloan first. Uh, and then we'll, maybe we'll come back and talk about uh, more fun things, like a river of MDMA at Glastonbury. The Mornings at the Cabin podcast. Hey, it was early. What do you want from us? Mornings at the Cabin brought to you by Aurora Ford driving the north. Hey, if you want to go to Glastonbury, you know, the Glastonbury Festival. I don't think it's on this year, but it may be. I think it was on last year. I think it was one of the first big festivals to come back. Huge festival in uh, Somerset, which is, I think, where Ollie's from, isn't it? Is he from Somerset? I think that's just the one you always say. It. Somerset. Is that actually where he's from? Somerset. Uh, scientists have warned there are dangerous levels of MDMA and cocaine in the White Lake River in Somerset. And that is the river right adjacent to Glastonbury. They suspect public urination has caused the increase and urged festival goers to use the toilets provided. <laughs> People, put your urine in a toilet. I can't stress this enough. Don't just throw it in the river. Measurements both downstream and upstream of the site were taken before, during, and after the festival in 2019. Ah. The study found MDMA concentrations quadrupled the week after the festival, suggesting long-term release from the site. Um, Also suggesting that there is MDMA and cocaine in the White Lake River when Glastonbury isn't on. It's quadrupled. Right? Okay. Well, that 2019 explains. Because, yeah, like it's not happening. I, I think it did happen last year, though. 
So a spokesman for the Glastonbury Festival said the environmental or the environment the environment agency, pardon me, had not raised any concerns with them on the matter following the 2019 event. No, it's well because it's breaking news now. Maybe they've just found it. They've kind of produced their results now. And he said that protecting our local streams and wildlife is a paramount is of paramount importance to us at the Glastonbury Festival, and we have a thorough and successful waterway sampling regime in place during each festival, <laughs> as agreed with the environment the environment agency. Um, we are aware that the biggest threat to our waterways and the wildlife for which they provide habitat comes from festival goers urinating on the land and being full of MDMA and cocaine. We do not condone the use of illegal drugs and continue to successfully strongly discourage public urination. <laughs> Glastonbury Festival head spokesperson, we, we're, we don't condone the use of illegal drugs. Uh, we hope you take them because it makes the festival that much better. We don't condone it, and we can't pub- legally. Yeah, exactly. Can't take it from you. This. We're not police. It is a f- music festival, though. It's like people are going to do these things. But don't you dare try to bring food into this. That's festival, right, Mister. Bring food or water into here. We're not going to confiscate your drugs, though. Just we can't gonna, provide you with those. If you're going to do all kinds of drugs, could you pee in a toilet? We are keen to see the full details of this new research, and we'd be very happy to work with the researchers. What's the quality of the MDMA and the cocaine? Is it good? Should people drink the water? A doctor from Bangor University uh, said their main concern is environmental impact. The study identifies that drugs are being released at high levels, levels high enough to disrupt the life cycle of of the European eel. So eels are getting high on this stuff. The eels? The the European eel. Right, not the band. Not the band. The eels? uh, And said public urination happens. Yeah. Illegal drug contamination for public urination happens at every music festival, says uh, a master student in the School of Natural Sciences at the uh, Bangor University. His name's Dan Aberg. Dan Aberg. Thanks, egghead. <laughs> Just ask this scientician. Uh, he'll tell you that when you take MDMA and cocaine and then pee into a river, the river then has MDMA and cocaine in it. So I bet. Okay. So let's do a study next year. At Long Lake to find out what we're peeing into Long Lake. Do we have to? I mean, we don't have to. Maybe we could just drink it and see what happens. Go Glastonbury. It's a festival I would love to attend. If only I could find some MDMA and cocaine. Check the river. Mornings at the Cabin, the podcast where we cut out all the great music and you're left with the rest. Starting MATC hour number two right now with an apology. I'd like to sincerely apologize for my comments about uh, Niels Conga uh, earlier in the show today. I certainly didn't mean to uh, offend anybody. And, um, yeah, it was a horrible comparison that I made. Was that good? I don't know if you meant it. You don't know if I meant it? No. Oh, see, I thought that sounded more sincere than his, uh, but there's no difference between the two because neither of us meant it. Um, Try again. No, I'm good. Talking little Blue Jays, I know we don't talk about sports very often. We do this on Captain Sports Radio. I even was a special guest on Captain Sports Radio last week when we talked about little Blue Jays. But it's the last six games of the season. If you are jumping on that bandwagon, get on it now. Scream your loudest for the only team in the country that's playing baseball. So, I mean, my, here's the thing, though. Tampa Bay Rays are going to split time between Montreal and Tampa starting next season. Very, very cool. So Montreal is oh. going to have some baseball games. Why? Because Tampa. They don't really have a crowd, do they? No. They won their East Division for they won the East Division this year, right? I think they were the wild card team last year, but they won the East Division this year, so they're the top team in the American League. 
Um, and they average between five and 10,000 fans a game. I mean, it's Florida, so Florida's on fire, but and still. They, and they still make money. I mean, just, do they? They, they have one I'm of the sure lowest. they do. They have, like, they're, I think they're like, like 20th in payroll or something like that. They have this team that they've just developed out of picks and a, a few sharp moves, and they're really, really good. They're going to be the team to watch. Uh, well, not in Tampa because nobody watches them in Tampa. So they're going to split time between Tampa and Montreal because Montreal is going to pack that place every time they play. Why don't they just move them? Exactly. So I think this is kind of the start of that step experiment. One. That's the, Yeah, this is kind of the step. It's just like if you have 5,000, like if you play a home game in Tampa and you have 5,000 fans and the next series you play home games or whatever in Montreal and there's, you know, 50,000 fans there, it's a no-brainer. It's an absolute no-brainer. Bring back the Expos. Ah, the taxes. Ah, taxes. Yeah, that's right. A lot of players not coming in. You're the, <laughs> the players so, would be happy to play in an empty stadium. They don't care. That's right. So uh, the Jays, uh, one game out of a wild card spot. They were in the wild card spot there a couple days uh, last week this time, but they did lose three in a row. But they've won two in a row uh, now. They're going into the most important series of the season. It's against the Yankees, who are two games ahead of them in the playoff race. They play three games. They can win two. Great. They can win all three. Even better, and uh, I'm pretty excited. Although at the same time, it's it's hard for me to watch. It's very, it's very, it's it's nerve wracking. I would imagine you said on Friday that they were done. I didn't say that they were done. I said, said they they, they are they're 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 slowing up at the wrong time. You're getting cold at the wrong time. You were harassing me all week, oh, saying get so. on that bandwagon, get on that brother. bandwagon. And I said why? And you said why? Because why? Why not? Why? Jump on. <laughs> Jump Why? on there, brother. Why? Um, but yeah, I mean this is it's exciting. They're they're in the playoff push. I did like I mean, they were kind of touted to be this anyway, but at the same time the expectations were kind of low. They were they were projected to win, I think, eighty six games this year, and they've already done that. So there's only six games left. So I mean they're not gonna win much more than eighty six, but they've got a chance. Like this is the best offensive team in baseball, arguably. They're top three offensive teams in baseball. They've got one of the best pitching rotations in baseball, including a Cy Young candidate, a top Cy Young candidate. This is a team that could do some damage. New York's very hot right now, just coming off a sweep of Boston. But Montreal's done pretty well against the Yankees this year. So, oh, there you oh go. Oh, my, my God. God. Oh, you but look at her butt. It is so big. Oh you said it. She looks like one of those rap guys' girlfriends, but... You know, who understands those rap guys? They only talk to her because she looks like a total prostitute, okay? This is what I happens mean, when you don't say butt. however once it's in a while. It's so big. I can't believe it's just so round. It's like out there. I mean, gross. Look. She's just so black. I like big butts and I cannot lie. You other brothers can't deny. When a girl walks in with an itty bitty wax and a round thing in your face, you get <laughs> you know, I don't hate you. I, I love you, but I hate that I love you. Why is that? I don't know. I love that song. It's great. I'm so honored that you made that for me. Uh, so Jay's heading into the final week here. I mean, now's the time to jump on the bag if you want. Uh, they're going to have at least 30,000 fans in, uh, in Skydome this week, which is uh, Ontario. <laughs> Increase those limits. Got to do it. Got to, you know, you got to get coronavirus. You got to let everybody get it so nobody can have it. Right. Um, but yeah, big series, three games against the Yankees, three games against uh, the Orioles to finish the season. The Orioles are the worst team in baseball. So hopefully they can pull out. If they win five of these six, they'll be in the playoffs. So that's great. But keep the, me posted. The race is tight. It's New York up on Boston. 
And then uh, uh, Toronto is one game out of the second play, second wild card spot. And then Seattle's 1.5 out. And Oakland is 2.5 out. So it's very, very close heading into the last week. If you're not a baseball fan, too bad. We're going to be talking about it, especially if the Blue Jays do real well. Only for like three more days, though, because they're all double headers, like six games. No, no, no. Okay. Six more days. How dare you? The Mornings at the Cabin podcast. Mornings at the Cabin brought to you by Aurora Ford Driving the North. If you were listening to Cabin Radio over the weekend, Sunday at 6 was a replay of a retrospective on the 30th anniversary of Nevrana's Nevermind, as produced by our man Lecter. And uh, featuring a slew of cabin radio hosts, I was invited, and I bailed. Um, I didn't have much to add. I'll, I'll, I'll admit that. I got that sense. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's like I like I like that album absolutely. It's not as uh, uh, for for me compared to the other hosts that you had on. Not like such a seminal album to me. Right, right. I understand its importance, but I don't have a lot of I don't have a lot of connection with it. I suppose. Yeah, I have more connection with Unplugged in New York. Um, mm. Right. Which I think is the superior album. But I wanted to ask you, so by all accounts, I haven't listened to it yet because I, didn't, I couldn't listen to it on Sunday because we were having... We were well, that's it. Through. You lost your chance. No, I was just going to say, can you, re- can you replay it? No, it's over. Replay it. It's over. I don't want to go in the log and find it. Replay it. It's a now 30 days and, or 30 years and like four days. That's perfect. Right? So it's, it's ancient history now. Anyway, so we're going to replay that at some point if you missed it. But by all accounts, uh, an excellent program. I wanted to ask you... You want to do some more of those? I would love to do you more pick of some those. albums. I I, su- I suggested Alapalooza. Now that's that's coming up. I don't know if I'm your man for that. Coming one. up on his 30th anniversary, right? <laughs> now I need to get to uh, get Des on that one. He's a big weird yes. Al fan. What other albums have you thought of for this? Not like a two hour <sighs> deep dive. Yeah, I mean, like for me personally, producing them, not really that many. Really, I mean, there's not another album you want to do. Well, I mean, it has to be like the the kind of the combination of the right amount of time. So, right. like thirty years is 30 obviously years is good, like yeah. that's a pretty big big milestone, and it you know it has to be like the right album. Like, there's lots of albums that are turning thirty years old, and lots of like really really great albums in, in rock history anyway that you know came out in like a month span, like uh. Like ten came out like a month before. Nevermind. Blood Sugar Sex Magic. Metallica's Black Album. Out of Time. That's the RDM album. Yeah, and uh, there's like Use Your Illusions One and Two. Yeah, I don't know if those belong. We already, we already talked. <laughs> I talked about those with Dave on uh, on uh, Dad Rock. That's right. So I mean, um, it is yeah. Like yeah, you kind of there has to be like a combination of something that that means something to you and like for me personally and right? for you know a lot of people. Uh, the the Nevermind album was was a huge, huge one, enormous. And so yeah, you combine that with the 30 year anniversary, and yeah, like it just it seemed it seemed like a good time to to put something extracurricular like that together. And right, it was it was a lot of work. It was a lot of watching yeah, a, of work. a lot of uh, old Nirvana interviews and <laughs> sifting through old footage that I, I'd never seen before, which was actually that was That's really interesting. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I had a lot of fun doing that. But um, but yeah, like for 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 me personally. To die to put that much time and effort into right. something, it has to be something for me that Fair you know connects. I'm not going to do that for Guns and Roses. I know you don't like Guns and Roses, but does it have to be a thirtieth year, thirtieth anniversary? Can it be a twenty five? I mean, it, it could be, be a twenty. Yeah, it could absolutely could okay. be. Yeah, because uh, well, ninety one as well. Actung baby, you too. Uh, <laughs> You're and, all over, and it. you know me. Yep, huge, huge Bono fan. Big Bono. You're you're a Bono head. <laughs> Bonzo Bono. Um, what else? Massive Attack, Blue Lines. 
Nice I, mean, I feel like Jay Bear would be Jay all Bear over be that all one. Over that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel like he puts enough time and effort into the station. <laughs> yeah, as that's it is. right. Every every uh, uh, every show of his is is one of those deep dives. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah, yeah. Um, the so, yeah. Jesus Lizard Goat. Oh, how do you how do you overlook that one? That's a top tenner. Uh, um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, but I'm yeah, I'd be excited to uh, to join in another one if as long as it means something to me as well. Right. I don't think I don't know that you and I cross. I don't know that you you and I intersect musically enough to maybe put one together, but you could uh, probably not. You probably join in on one, but like where we can actually do a deep dive on something. Because I know you're not going to do like Elephant, which is coming up on its 20th anniversary in another year or so. Um, wow, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, 2003, anyway. that album. Came. 2003. 2000 was uh, White Blood Cells. Yeah, so I mean, they had a 20th anniversary of the the album with um, Fell in Love with a Girl on it. And uh, and Deadlies in the Dirty Ground, and we are going to be friends. So that's a that was a big album as well. That would be a fun one. Yeah. Again, I, I don't know if I'm necessarily the person to, right. to host it. Um, I don't know anybody yeah, else I mean, that likes White Stripes here. Well, I mean you. I know me. Other than me, yeah. I'm not going to do it on my own. Why don't you want to do it? I, I want to do it. I just don't want to do it on my own. But well, I, mean, I mean, we got a pre- we got a preview of that pretty much when we talked about when I, I did Dad Rock and we talked White Stripes the entire time. Right. Yeah. But that's the thing. I mean, you get, you know, a host of, uh, like I did, you get a host of uh, cabin radio right. characters to join you and give you their uh, their personal takes, and mm-hmm. you just kind of steer the whole the whole ship in the right direction. Okay. It was fun. Yeah, I, no, I highly just, recommend absolutely. it. Absolutely. It sounded like yeah. a lot of fun. And we were we were going to do it on Friday, and then I took Friday morning off, and I didn't think about it until afterwards, and I was like, oh, yeah. Damn. Yeah. But again, was... I would have been like, yeah, it's a good album. Baby Dinger, that all made, that good stuff. It made it easier to cut you from yeah, the, exactly. From the right. show. <laughs> <laughs> I was a Nirvana fan, but not a Nirvana head. So that's how it goes. But uh, I think you should replay it. If you do, let us know, and we'll put it up there, and we'll let everybody know about it. They can listen to your special on Nirvana's Nevermind, which all he said really filled his walk when he took the dog out. <laughs> there you go. And he said he really liked it. It was a high compliment. For it was. Yeah, I, I, didn't, compliment. Uh, I listened to it while I walked my dog. Well, there you go. I did not. Well, I mean, he said he was going to tune in on Friday. Right. I thought he was just being nice. No, he tuned in on Sunday when he did but, uh, yeah, then he 10K around the, uh, around the ski club. Yeah. What a keener. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, said he really enjoyed it, and that was uh, that was very nice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we'll uh, hopefully hear that again and hopefully uh, have some more in the future. Uh, that's going to do it for Mornings at the Cabin this morning. Uh, thanks for coming by. Love having you. Talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Check out more from the show at cabinradio.ca and by following the Mornings at the Cabin Facebook page. If you enjoyed today's show, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating, and leave a review. The General Insurance presents Ordering a Sandwich with Shaq and Hall of Fame announcer Michael Buffer. I'm going to have roast beef. What do you want, Michael? Let's get ready for pastrami on rye. 
Turns out, Michael Buffer talks like that all the time. And it turns out, The General is a quality insurance company that's been saving people money for nearly 60 years. Spicy! Dijon Mustard! For a great low rate and nearly 60 years of quality coverage, make the right call and go with The General. Some restrictions apply. The Bible says, Be not deceived. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Welcome to Financial Issues, where we align reality with truth. Conservative talk radio you can count on. Financial issues that you need to know. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. We will simply apply to government the common sense that we all use in our daily lives. Now, here's your host, Dan Celia. Welcome back, Financial Issues. I'm Dan Celia. It's great to be here. Thanks for being with us today. It is Tuesday, September 28th. It's great to be here. Thank you for being with us. I also want to mention to you that there's three days left to the end of our year. And uh, we we have been blessed uh, yesterday again. And we are just praying that we can really finish strong here today, tomorrow, and Thursday. And, and we hope that you will participate in any way that you can. Maybe it's committing to $5 a month. Maybe it's committing to you know, $50 a month. Maybe it is just a one-time donation, which we are getting um, so many. We've been blessed even yet this morning, just 15 minutes ago by a friend in Florida that, you know, I see these things coming in. I'm, I'm just amazed. So we continue to be blessed. We thank you for it. And anything that you can do over these next three years will be obviously added blessing to us. And we are grateful for um, the opportunity. We are looking forward to how the Lord is going to use us in the upcoming year. And uh, what we do and how we finish this year is going to obviously, um, you know, do a lot for what we're able to do next year. So that is what we're kind of looking towards. And uh, we thank you. So many of you have uh, participated, and we are blessed. Our partnership is growing. Um, our support is growing. So thank you. And I just ask you, I just say, we need you. We need your help. We're going to be in the, hey, I don't want to be deceitful. We're going to be in the black this year. We're not, I'm, I'm, I want you to know we have never, ever had a year where we were not uh, with the deficit or that we had a deficit. We've always been in the black. We've never been in a, in the red. I panicked a little bit in 2009. I, rem- I remember it well, but I, I, I think it was 2009. I, I'm pretty sure I, I panicked a little bit, but we have not, we have finished in the black every single year. I suspect we will. Uh, I talk about that Maybe sometimes when other ministries don't, but you know what? I believe that you all want to know and feel that God's blessing is upon this ministry and, and providing for our needs. That's kind of confirmation that we're on the right track for you. And I know that you want to support, you know, winning entities for the kingdom. And that's what we are doing. We want to continue to do that. But God laid it on my heart a couple months ago that, hey, Dan, you got to ask. You got to ask my people to participate, and that's what I'm doing. So I hope you will do that. Thank you uh, for those of you who have already done it. We sure do appreciate it. So 
Um, thank you for that. And it's been a blessing. Oh, we're also our shirts, our polos. I mean, the orders. I just saw an order this morning for five hundred and seventy some thousand dollars and for for, uh, you know, they wanted some shirts and hats and uh, gave a donation. But, you know, we're just looking for any size donation. So you can click on that and uh, represent us as you uh, travel about. And hopefully people will ask you, what is that? FISM.TV. And you can you can spread the word for us. That'd be great. So um, check it out. And um, you've seen me wearing these things and um I, I, uh, it's great. It's great stuff. And we sure would appreciate it. We want to get that word out and that branding out FISM.TV. So thank you for that. We sure do appreciate that. That's grown, uh, in an enormous way, enormous way. And you guys have really participated and we're very excited, uh, about that. And we are going to try to continue to offer those, those kinds of things. Cause we, we want to get, uh, our brand out there. All right. Well, it looks like um, the indices, as we look through them, are all in negative territory. Uh, there's a lot going on right now. The Nasdaq dropped about one and a half percent as bond yields seem to be surging or are, in fact, surging. Dow futures are down half of one percent. The S&P futures down point eight five percent. Nasdaq technology stocks down one point five percent as gasoline is up or I'm sorry, oil, crude oil, up um, oh, about two-thirds of 1% right now. It's 75.95, getting ready to cross that 75 uh, uh, and some change mark here and get into 76 territory. Uh, the 10-year yield is up to 1.53. That is a big move. It's the highest uh, I think we've seen in about two years. Uh, apparently, there's a surge in bond yields called, caused by investors fleeing tech stocks. And I guess they're fleeing tech, tech stocks uh, to come into uh, something a little bit more secure and safe. And... Um, there's got to be some other things going on there in the bond market, but the ten-year, ten-year yield continues to rapidly climb, and again hits its uh, well, it hit its highest level since June, and then uh, before that it was a couple years. So lots of opportunity in the treasuries, but really the treasuries are a safety play. People are parking their money. People are parking. Their money. Jerome Powell uh, is likely to warn Congress today that inflation pressures could last longer than expected. Jerome Powell, sounding like financial issues, did about eight months ago. A little behind the curve, but that's what the Fed does. They stay behind the curve. They like being there. It's much easier to predict things after they happen than it is to predict things before they happen. The disappointing part is not that that's what's going on. The disappointing thing is that the Fed can do it too. They have to be able to do it. And they don't. Look, I wasn't the only one seeing the fact that there was no possible way that inflation was transitory. 
I know that. But I also know that, unfortunately, the frustrating part for me is I was the only one willing to say it, to state the obvious, the great analyst on all the financial networks and all the, uh, you know, great uh, ones that have claimed victory over making such wonderful predictions and that hang their hat on their ability to know what's happening. Nobody called it. That does not take away from their abilities. It only takes away from their willingness. And that is why you partner with the ministry. We've got a lot going on in the next week or so that I'm going to be talking about. Either we are going to have a conference call this week, or I'm going to put something up as a podcast on the partner side of the website to give you some insights. I hope you'll listen to that or be on the conference call. We may even have another conference call next week. A lot happening over the weekend last week, and I suspect a lot is going to be happening this week. But Jerome Powell, Fed Chair, is going to warn Congress about inflationary pressures. I could have warned Congress about inflationary pressures eight, nine months ago. Jerome Powell could have, too. He elected not to. And let me just say this, as I am on the Federal Reserve, as I always have been, But Jerome Powell, in my opinion, is going to go down as one of the best Fed presidents that we've uh, chairman that we've had in a very, very long time. He did an amazing job. I hope he's not fighting to keep his job because he's got no shot of keeping it. But he's got to he's got to call it as he sees it. And I know he has seen it. Brent crude oil, three year high over 80 dollars. More to come in that regard as well. We'll be back. Welcome back, 610-363-1110, If you want to cue your call up, you're welcome to do it, 610-363-1110. We will get to your questions. We've got a little bit of news that we've got to continue to cover here as uh, we move through the day. Of course, this is uh, a day that is very, very Uh, This is a week that is going to be very interesting and very uh, concerning to a lot of us as a result of Thursday and what is happening Thursday on the in the halls of Congress. So uh, the the Senate has already shot down the uh, House approved uh, uh, bill on infrastructure. So uh, that is uh, going to have to be re-looked at. I, I guess the case, I mean, everything is going to flow. Of course, on Thursday, they're waiting to the 11th hour. They ought to make a decision on funding the government about 11 o'clock uh, in the night on Thursday. And, of course, out of all of this, we will get what we have been getting for many, many years And when the very first continued resolution happened, I think it was in 2013 or 14, I think it was 13, I said there will never be another budget. There will always be continued resolutions because I said it is the greatest thing for any politician to have a continued resolution and get the money they need without any accountability. And that's exactly what we're going to get this time in all likelihood. But 
the um, the AOCs of the world are wanting this funding, even though nobody can articulate what it's for and how they're going to use it. Nancy Pelosi, in usual fashion, says, hey, we got to pass the bill before we find out how much where we're going to spend it. You got to be kidding me, right? Can you imagine I mean, but that's what they're doing. That's what they want to try to do. They need trillions and trillions of dollars, but they don't know what they need it for yet because they'll decide what they need it for once it gets passed. Once it gets passed, they will decide not what they need it for. They will decide what they are going to spend it on. Not what they need it for, what they are going to spend it on. And it's going, everything they do is going to drive the agenda home. Now, there's a lot of talk, finally, about the $600 intrusion by the IRS. And some of the rhetoric that I've been hearing, even as recent as this morning, is about as ridiculous as anything I've ever heard. Now, let me just tell all the news media that's not listening and everybody else out there the problem with all of this. It is not, uh, it is about, it is about, but the issue that banking institutions that we expect them to hold near and dear the the confidentiality of what we personally are doing, whether we're making a deposit of $600 or a withdrawal of $600 or more, that's our business. We understand the $10,000 rule on deposits that it gets reported to the IRS. Listen. This bill includes the hiring, listen, of, I talked about it yesterday, of 80,000, 80,000 additional IRS agents. I'm going to call them law enforcement. I would like to call them other things, but I would have to reckon uh, or call back uh, some not so very flattering terms that we would get out of World War II Germany. But look, we don't need 80,000 IRS agents. Agents, unless this is a enforcement agency that is going to be like an army of people. The 600 hours that now gets reported to the IRS, and I've heard all, I've heard a very articulate reason why it is happening. On Fox Business this morning. The person giving it. Was wrong. Not a little bit wrong. 100% wrong. In my opinion. Nobody. And I here I go again. I hate to say this. But nobody. I haven't heard anybody or seen anything about the reality of this bill and what it's for really. 
So it sounds like because of the 80,000 agencies, it is some sort of uh, masking, just more government control. Yes, it is going to be more government control just by the nature of giving the government all this information. So, yes, that's that's kind of a just a normal effect of the cause uh, because of the cause that is being done here. Okay, but here's the thing. Nobody's talked about this. You're hearing it. If you haven't heard me say it again, you're hearing it for the first time. The reason that it is so important, because they need to raise $500, billion from this rule, and they don't really know how that's going to happen. I know how it's going to happen. They say the, the person this morning on Fox Business uh, said, well, uh, you know, there, there's, it hasn't been scored. The CBO can't score it. He was making my point for me without understanding why. Some time ago, there was conversation and still is around a financial transaction tax. Do you understand once this bill is passed, the IRS will have a complete accounting of every financial transaction over $600 that happens by every person in America that has a bank account anyway. They will be able to know what that is now. Once you institute a financial transaction tax, and this will give the ability of the government and the IRS to pick and choose which financial transactions are going to count under the financial tax, the financial transaction tax. They probably won't call it a tax. They'll probably call it a fee. But this will help them decide which ones to do it on, but they will easily be able to score exactly how much money that's going to bring in. Two years from now, if it's not enough money, they will add some of the other financial transactions to the tax, and they will raise the tax that they are charging. They will be able to quantify and have 80,000 new agents to make sure that these taxes are being paid properly once they decide to put it into effect. That's where we're going. That's the road we're going on. The next one, I can even go so far, is to say the next hotly debated tax. This one's not being debated yet because they're not talking about the tax. They don't want to show their hand. Now, I must have mirrors behind all of them sitting there at the card table because their hand is pretty easy to see. 
But nobody wants to look in those mirrors, I guess. The next transaction tax, the next thing that we are going to be facing is a VAT tax. Why? Because we have to. Number one, we want to be a part of the global world, right? The global financial system. Everybody, all of our allies, they they all have a VAT tax. It is lunacy. Why don't we? We're going to all get together and have a unified corporate tax. Why shouldn't we then join in as part of the European Union and make sure that we have a VAT tax? We will have a VAT tax. As a matter of fact, back in 2008, Republicans were on board with a VAT tax. That's going to be the next point of discussion under this administration to pay for all of this. The end of the story is going to look like something like this. We will be paying about $455 a gallon for gasoline in very short order. That is going to generate an enormous amount of federal transportation tax because the tax obviously is a percentage on the amount that is sold. Higher prices mean higher taxes. They can get more money without raising taxes. And I wouldn't be surprised if they raise the federal tax as well on it. That's going to happen. VAT tax going to raise hundreds of billions of dollars. Financial transaction tax, hundreds of billions of dollars. Listen, people are calling me and emailing me, telling me about their property tax going up. Somebody emailed me and said, Dan, you said this was going to happen a year ago, and it's happening. I didn't say it because I'm smart. I didn't say it because I figured it out. I didn't say it because I'm the only person in the world privy to some sort of special information. I didn't say it because of any of that. I said it because states are no different than the federal government. The economy has been standing still for 18 months. They need to generate income for their budgets. Property tax have to go up. Local tax have to go up. Municipality tax, county tax, not to mention state income tax, unless you live in the great state of Texas or Florida or Tennessee. It is so obvious, and we actually have people in news media that are debating the obvious. When something is obvious, can we just debate the options? And the options are make sure we don't do it at any cost or let it happen. We don't have to debate what might happen. We know what's going to happen. We got to figure out a way to stop it. And we're not going to stop it, unfortunately, under this administration. That's going to be hard to reverse. I'll be back. Welcome back, 610 If you want to cue your call up, you're welcome to do it. 610 So, you know, I, I just, um, I know 
that these things are important to all of us as we think about our where we're headed. Let me just go on to another piece of economic data that I've been... The General Insurance presents Ordering a Sandwich with Shaq and Hall of Fame announcer Michael Buffer. I'm going to have roast beef. What do you want, Michael? Let's get ready for pastrami on rye. Turns out Michael Buffer talks like that all the time. And it turns out the General is a quality insurance company that's been saving people money for nearly 60 years. Spicy Dijon Mustard. For a great low rate and nearly 60 years of quality coverage, make the right call and go with the General. Some restrictions apply. I have talked about it from time to time. But it's one of those other things that is important to note that looks like is going to happen. Gasoline prices are definitely going to be going up. But we've got a severe shortage of natural gas, and it's becoming an epidemic in the Eurozone and and, uh, other parts, both both, uh, the Eurozone, the developed Eurozone, as well as uh, Eastern Europe, especially Eastern Europe, I should say. And we have had, we have an opportunity, which we are, we've already squandered. So, I, so we're not going to get it back until we get a new administration, uh, if we ever do, which I don't, um, it's looking more and more like we won't. But if, um, you know, we lost the best salesman uh, any organization or any uh, commodity has ever had, and that was uh, President Trump. Everywhere he went, he talked about our nat gas resources everywhere. And we could be the number one world exporter of nat gas. I will say, of course, I know that we are lacking critical infrastructure. But at the same time, we have learned uh, in the last five years how to quickly get some more nat gas infrastructure. And I mean infrastructure in order to make ready to export. So fitting out ships uh, and, and ports. Uh, to get that nat gas, liquefy it, and ship it uh, to around the world. And we, I think, I don't know what we are. I'm making this number up. I don't know. Don't tell me it's a lot more, a lot less. But I am guessing that we are very close to maybe six, seven. It could be more. It could be one or two less. Six or seven ports now. I remember the first port that we started to retrofit in uh, Louisiana uh, some time ago. So we, we made great progress. We've got to make more progress in doing that. They're the kinds of things that our president ought to be pushing because we need to maintain our energy independence, which we've already given up on, because this president believes that if we don't produce it, it doesn't pollute the air. It only pollutes the air if it is being produced from the United States of America. But anything that is being produced by Saudi Arabia or Russia somehow doesn't produce any carbon emissions. It's a beautiful thing. Their oil just doesn't produce that stuff. Or if it does, it stays somewhere over there because... You know, I, I, I've often said the intelligentsia of Hollywood hasn't realized this, but that's to be expected. But also, the president of the United States 
isn't wise enough to remember his fifth grade um, classes that the earth does rotate. And what ends up in China for pollution will soon end up in California. It's air. That's the way it works. And so we haven't figured that out. So rather than to get all of the intelligentsia elites in Hollywood on his case about it, he would just like to shut down what's going on here in America to make them all happy because they're not smart enough to realize that. China is not going to refine anything as clean as we refine it. They don't know that. They don't understand that. They don't care about jobs. They don't need a job. They don't want a job. They don't have to get a job. They don't have to worry about any of those normal kinds of things that you and I think about. So we have an opportunity that we're missing to be the largest not gas exporter at a time when it has become a critically important commodity because one of the unintended consequence of not producing not gas is not having the wherewithal to produce CO2. So we've got to all make sure that we only drink flat Coca-Cola because we can't carbonate it because there's not enough CO2. So we'll just drink juice. We won't be able to carbonate any kind of drinks because we won't be able to afford the carbonation, the CO2. All the PETA people that don't want to see slaughterhouses and chickens die and cattle, um, you know, being prepared for butchering, they don't want to see that. They don't think that that should be done. Well, how about not being able to do it humanely? Because we're not going to be able to knock the chickens unconscious before that happens or the cattle because we use CO2 to do that. So that's creating problems in the UK right now. By the way, the other byproduct of not gas and all of this is our fertilizer. So we are now coming up with fertilizer shortages. These are all unintended consequences of all this stopping production. So now what's going to happen if we have food shortages because our yields will be a far, far lower because we don't have the proper fertilizer or access to enough of it or can afford it? So, therefore, we will sacrifice yields. I could go on and on about this, but do you understand America? This is the fault of American politicians. It is the fault of the White House. It is the fault of Congress, both Republicans and Democrats, because you have Democrats with their outrageous ideology and Republicans that don't have backbone to fight against it. So this is what we end up with. 
Now, I know that there are Americans that a very large group of Americans that will be willing not listen to me. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. Carefully. I'm sick of the emails. Carefully. I am not talking about taking up arms physically. I'm not talking about bottling. I'm not talking about insurrection. I'm not talking about riots and violence. I am talking about a peaceful constitutional right that we have when the government is not looking out for the best interest of the governed to simply recall our government and start again. Why don't we do it? Here we go. It comes full circle. We got to go back to backbone and to willingness. Well, I don't want to be confrontational. Okay. Well, then you can sit over on the left because you're out of this equation. I mean, what I mean, I don't know what to say other than that. It's a willingness. I believe that this country was built upon the word of God. Do you think that the founding fathers, they were very smart men, very, very, very smart men, intellectually, very smart. But let me tell you, I don't believe that they were smart enough to draw up a document that could withstand 240 unprecedented years of freedom. I don't think they were that smart. To produce a living, breathing document as powerful and as right today as it was then, Constitution, without the hand of God. They weren't. People say, as Christians, I want to fight for Israel. We should. I believe that. You notice in my studio, this is a temporary studio. My studio that will be permanent in about a month will get back to my old studio. And you remember, I have a flag of Israel and a flag of the United States on either side of my set. Because I believe in Israel. If Israel is God's chosen people, God's chosen nation, and God's hand was in the formation of the nation that we live in, and we are all grafted in to the nation of Israel through the blood of Christ, why shouldn't we be as willing to fight for America as we would any other God-given nation. We better get willing real quick because, folks, the time is running out. Yes, we need a strong pulpit more than anything else right now. We need a leadership in the pulpit like we have never had and like most pastors and us can't even imagine. Let's pray and hope it happens. But let's put some feet to that prayer. 
The opinions and recommendations expressed by Dan are his own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of this station or any of the show's sponsors. You know, if you are following and you're trying to tell people about financial issues, man, tell them to listen to this first hour because they need to understand so many of these things. They need to understand, number one, that we are trying and we are working every day. You know, I talked about some things that I am doing uh, on a regular basis, back to doing. I did it in 2007 on a regular basis, and it was very helpful to me. But um, I'm doing it again, and these it involves some things in the Eurozone and European nations. Now, on the conference call, I talked about it, but I didn't I didn't explain what it means. Maybe the next conference call, I'll do that. I didn't realize it until just the other day that I never did explain it. But um, some of the things and the little details that we're looking at, why do I look at them? Because they work. They, they, they come together. You know, um, you know how uh, wisdom comes from a council of many? And, and, you know, good sound data, good sound calls and predictions also come from uh, a, a, a combination of a lot of data. And there's wisdom in that. And you, and you throw in a, a, uh, a prayer team. I don't know who the team is, but I know that it's countless people around this country. And it's been this way for uh, 10 years at least, thousands and thousands and thousands of people that are praying that I might be found a tiny bit worthy to be as a son of Issachar. The sons of Issachar had set, uh, uh, understanding of the times, and maybe that's it. Maybe that's a part of it. I don't know. I have a hard time um, believing that I could be be worthy of that, so I don't uh, want to say that's it, but it hopefully uh, it, it um, intervenes and helps for sure. But it's a good reason why that you stay with the ministry and follow the ministry and follow um, what we are doing and how we're doing it and allow us to continue to impact the culture one person at a time. And that's what we're doing, one company at a time, one person at a time. We are trying to make sense and logic out of the things that are illogical and have no sense. So we, we're going to continue to do that, and we are changing. We are changing the culture. I fully believe that we are going to change the culture just through our news program because people are hearing the truth. That's part of the culture change that I believe we've been commissioned to try to do. So we will, we will continue to do that. And so we want you to come alongside us as we as we do that. We want you to tell as many people as you possibly can that we exist for that purpose. And and hopefully uh, they will join us. I hope they will join us. So, all right, let me go to phone 610-363-1110. Let me go to Dale. Dale's calling us from Indiana. Dale, good morning, brother. Yes, good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm I'm overweighted in materials um, by about oh, uh, what is it? Thirteen eight percent over. Uh-huh. I was wondering if I should sell MA twenty seven thirty five and sixty three. I'm up uh, probably hundred two hundred two hundred percent. 
in a couple of them and about 11 percent in one of them. Well, I mean, certainly um, you should. I mean, if you've got to cut back on on materials, now would be a good time uh, to sell. Are you retired, Dale? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I would I would go ahead and sell. I would go ahead and sell those. I wouldn't only because they're up 200 percent. And and if you're retired and you're building, you know, unless you are still going to be building uh, this portfolio, you know, 10 years from now and not beginning to use the money and uh, to and, and, and you're not going to really care about not care about. Of course, we always care about preservation of the principle, but, you know, not not being a priority of yours because you're OK and you've got plenty of income and you're doing all right. And this can be these can be foundational pieces in your in your uh, portfolio uh, for many, many years to come. So I don't know that I would. I, the other thing you can do is sell off the profits. You can sell off enough shares to take uh, the majority of the profit up. If you're up 200%, maybe you sell off enough shares to get a hundred percent out or even 150% out, which means that what you have left in that stock, you have no basis in. In other words, mm-hmm. it's not your money. You got all your money out. What's the, what's there is just some profit you made. And if it goes down, it goes down. If it goes up, it goes up. But you just keep some of your profit working, get your cost basis out. And that would be another great strategy that you can employ if you want. Okay. And then I was wondering, should I get rid of the uh, HD and LC and get into the HE and LE? No. But any additional contributions... I would put in the uh, the E, the uh, L E and the H E, but I would okay. not get rid of what you have. That would be counterproductive. So don't All do right. that. Well, are they invested in basically the same thing? It's just they strategy. they are they are. But the but what they are in now, you have built a foundation in, and it would be foolish to get to sell those. So I would just leave that be. But if I'm making new investments, I would use the E. Okay. Now I was wondering about the public storage. I don't see it on your list anymore. Should I get out of that and replace it with something? No, public storage. You mean the the preferred? Yeah. Yeah, no, never sell preferred. Okay. You never sell preferred. Just keep that um, until it's called. Most, okay. a lot of them have been called, but until it's called, yeah, don't sell it. Yep. All right. And then I've got a, I've got a financial writ FR 70. Uh-huh. I'm down about 15% in it. And I was wondering if I should sell it and buy FR 59. Well, I don't, I, I, if FR 59 is on my buy list, you can do that. If it isn't, I wouldn't do it, of course, but I would sell that one. I would sell okay. what you have. All right. All right. All right. Thanks, Dale. Okay. All right. All right. I appreciate you. it. You're welcome. Uh-huh. 610-363-1110. 610-363-1110. If you want to um, queue up your call, you're welcome to do that. I don't know if we have, do we, can we, can we get to another call here? I'm, I'm, uh, okay. I'm searching for my uh, software. So, who do we have on? Go ahead and put them on. Wayne. Okay, go ahead, Wayne. Hey, Dan. Good morning. Good to talk to you. I appreciate all that you do. Um, Thank you. 
the 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 piece that you put on the the, the website when the oh. red letters about yes sir your views yes sir. well I am above I'm above fifty and I own IN sixteen which is a small or small cap mm-hmm. and I was curious about how to uh, go forward with that in your account is it up yes. Um, and how are you in that sector in general? Do you, do you have, uh, uh other, other, um, yes. IT yes, stocks? Other, uh, they're IN. Now, I don't think you're up too much, are you? Where are you up over? No, it ain't, it ain't. it's, uh, four or $5 a share. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would, uh, I would just keep it. I'd leave it be. Okay. Yep. All right. Yeah. All right. Good enough. Thank you. All right. Thank you. I appreciate, I appreciate it. it. Yep. Thank you. 610-363-1110. Let me go to uh, some social. I know we have some things on Facebook and the website. Let me just do that before we go to break. What do you have, Seth? Yeah. Yeah, sure, Dan. We got Linda on Facebook saying, thank you, Dan, Celia, and Financial Issues Ministries for your help all of these years. Thank you, Linda. It's wonderful. Oh, thanks, Linda. That's yeah. great. Yeah. And on Facebook saying, blessings, I'm age 64. Should I sell CS70 and IN83? I'm way down in these small caps. Bought before I knew better. Uh, yes. Excellent. Karen on Facebook saying, I'm a partner using 65 into retirement and income asset allocation models. We have about 3% in ETF3, which is no longer on our allocation models. Should we keep, reduce, or get out? I'm still on the, it's still on the buy list. Keep it. Excellent. Don't don't get rid of that. Yes, keep it. Nice. Roger on the website saying, what do you think will happen to our cash and investments if we have the currency reset as far as dollar for dollar? Um, <laughs> I, so they're going to go down. They're, they're, anything that's denominated in the dollar is going to change to the, to, uh, the so-called reset, whatever that might be. So... Uh, everything is going to change. Even your debt's going to change. So is your pay, though. So don't get excited. So people say, well, let me get in debt then. Maybe it'll reset. No, it's uh, your pay's going to change, too. Everything's going to change. If, if what you do is denominated in, in dollars, which everything we do is denominated in dollars, even if we own foreign stocks, it's denominated probably in U.S. dollars. So, yeah, uh, if if that happens... Um, and a lot of people uh, have uh, believe it's going to happen. I'm not in that camp, but um, if that happens, then yeah, that's how it's going to work. Everything. You don't have to ask. You don't have to wonder about what it's going to be. It's got to be everything. It can't be just a couple of things. Very good. And Dan, we've got time for one more before our break coming up here. Brian is 44 years old, funding his kid's private Christian school with funds into a 529 plan. Is there a specific state 529 plan that he should use? He won't be investing the money, but is using it right away to fund the school tuition. Um, no. I mean, I like, um, I like Florida's. I like Texas. Um, I mean, there's other states that I like, but... Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't uh, worry about it. I think you're better off using your own state. You get more tax benefit. All right, folks. We'll be back. We're going to break. Stay with us. More right after this.
We will never compromise our principles and standards. We will never give away our freedom. We will never abandon our belief in God. Thank you for joining us. This has been an FISM production. Worried about mom or dad falling? The Symphony Medical Alert System from CVS Health helps make their home safer, even if you can't be there. Symphony works with voice activation or a care button they can opt to wear, along with smart sensors for coverage around the home. With 24-7 emergency response and an app to tie it all together, you can monitor your loved one's well-being for enhanced peace of mind. Terms and conditions apply. Learn more about Symphony at cvs.com symphony or find it at your nearest CVS Health Hub. The General Insurance presents Shower Ballads by Shaq. And I'm gonna keep Turns out, everyone does sound better in the shower. And it turns out, The General is a quality insurance company that's been saving people money for nearly 60 years. I don't want to sleep. I just want to For a great low rate and nearly 60 years of quality coverage, make the right call and go with The General. Some restrictions apply. In America should be grateful to God for the blessings he's given us. Don't let anyone tell you that America's best days are behind her. We have got to fight for this nation because I believe with all my heart this nation is in fact one nation under God. Welcome back to Financial Issues. I'm Dan Celia. It's great to be here. And of course, this is the segment in which we have our ag report. We have a big ag report for you uh, today. There must be a lot going on out there. Craig is got a pretty good uh, size uh, ag report prepared. So uh, that is good, I suspect, for a lot of you that are going to probably get some information you weren't weren't expecting. But we also have our news. Uh, this is the time we take a news break. Listen, speaking of our news, um, we are getting, I just got some great emails uh, yesterday and I, I got them over the weekend. I got some last night that I saw this morning as well about the news. And I just want to thank all of you that have been watching it. But I just would tell you that, as I mentioned earlier, it's part of what we are doing to help change the culture one by one. I know it seems like a small thing, but it's a huge thing to get the truth out there. And anytime you can disseminate the truth and nothing but the truth is a very, very good thing. And I hope that you are tuning in. If you're not yet, somebody called in here yesterday, Mark from Virginia, and said, look, everybody has to watch it. Or he wrote in whatever it was. I know I read it on the air. If I, I don't remember whether he was on or not, but Mark from Virginia just saying, um, hey, you know, you got to you got to watch it. It's so professional and so well done. Look, we're getting more and more of that. Check it out. F.I. FISM.TV, FISM.TV, check your Roku or Amazon uh, if you have that app, you want to download the channel, Financial Issues channel, 7 o'clock every night. It's, it's uh, good old-fashioned nightly news, national, international news, 7 o'clock Eastern time, 6 o'clock Central time, FISM.TV. We're very excited at how that is growing. And we've got, uh, no, we've got Ian, Ian Patrick here with a news update. Ian, what is going on today? Well, Dan, we got a lot going on. Uh, let's start off right in politics. It was a big night yesterday, especially. Senate Republicans on Monday struck down a two-pronged bill that contained a suspension of the debt ceiling and stopgap funding through December 3rd in order to prevent a government shutdown. Now, all 50 Republican senators blocked the bill as they had promised that they were going to do. 
the Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell warned last week that Republicans would only support a stopgap measure divorced from the debt ceiling. Now, obviously, Republicans believe that Democrats will use the suspended debt ceiling as a means in order to fund their $3.5 trillion budget bill, as well as other future progressive projects. Speaking of that bill, actually, in another sort of related bit of news, uh, there's a bit of tension in the Democratic Party over that huge bill and the $1.2 trillion, excuse me, uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill. And House Speaker Nancy Pelosi decided to deal with the infighting on Monday night behind closed doors. So the bipartisan bill provides funding for uh, multiple infrastructure projects. It's an actual mostly infrastructure bill, and it's found favor with both Republicans and Democrats. Uh, But the more progressive $3.5 trillion bill uh, is supported by the uh, more progressive uh, section of the Democratic Party. And uh, it literally is just a social spending bill. It's it's packed full of things that are just non-infrastructure at all, and they're still trying to pass it under budget reconciliation for infrastructure purposes. Yeah, so it's horrible. Yeah, it, it is that's, horrible. And, and moderate yeah. Democrats like Senator Joe Manchin have scoffed at it and said, we're not going to, that's, that's too big. We're not even going to consider it. Um, yeah. Now, Pelosi moved a vote on the bipartisan bill. It was supposed to happen yesterday night. She moved it to Thursday and she met with the Democratic caucus in order to unify them behind both spending plans. So a bit of double pronged news there. The Republicans shutting down the stopgap bill over the suspended debt ceiling and Pelosi trying to unify the Democrats in order to uh, pass a major, major, major spending bill, uh, which they're trying to pawn as a sort of infrastructure bill. Uh, calling it social infrastructure is the, uh, I believe, the popular term, which I'm not socialist, really sure what that means. Socialist <laughs> Right, yeah, it's, it's shorthand bill. for socialist yeah, infrastructure. Yeah, yeah. right, right. <laughs> and and it, is, uh, it is amazing. The, the, uh, it's going to run to the 11th hour, you know, on midnight, you know, running right up to almost midnight on Thursday night. And we're going to get a continued resolution and some sort of deal or it's going to get shut down for a day or something. So they have something to whine about the Republicans uh, on. But, yeah, it is amazing. This happens constantly every year. It's so tiresome. We're not even capable. All they're doing is showing their incompetence and what they can't do. Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. You're you're right about them, too. Uh, If they if the government does shut down, the Democrats will likely use that as sort of a play to say, oh, look, Republicans blocked our sort of deal to try to, you know, keep the government funded. They'll try to play that as sort of being the Republicans' fault. When really they're trying to prevent uh, uh, crazy spending on uh, random things. Yeah, it really is nuts. uh, And a little bit of uh, other news we got here. The FBI released its annual uniform crime report, and it showed that the 2020 crime rate soared with a 30% jump from 2019. And the data showed that there were over 21,500 murders last year, and that's nearly 5,000 more than a year ago, and it corresponds to 6.5 deaths per 100,000 Americans. So some grim news there. This is actually the largest jump since the FBI even started collecting data in the 1960s. Uh, the murder rate is still down significantly from the 1980s and early 90s, but officials have expressed concern over the sharp rise in crime. Uh, the data mirrors another alarming statistic that the rate of drug overdose deaths also rose nearly 30% in 2020. So wow. I hate to end it on a grim note there, but unfortunately we got the yeah. uh, ag report yeah. coming up. So, All right. Thank you, Ian. I sure appreciate it. Ian Patrick, FISM News. You're going to hear the full stories of what Ian was just talking about tonight, 7 o'clock, FISM.TV. Here's Craig Haugard. This is Craig Haugard with your Financial Issues Egg Update for September 28th. Well, corn moved nicely higher yesterday as traders looked at yield reports and started to speculate that the national average yield could be half a bushel per acre less than the most recent USDA number. 
Generally speaking, yields are coming in below expectations in Illinois and Indiana, but better than expected in Iowa. Speaking of harvest, 74% of the corn crop is now mature, with 18% of it having been harvested. In South America, Brazil's first corn crop is 28% planted, and 1% of their soybeans are in the ground. The season is starting off with severe subsoil deficit, and it appears as if La Nina is back for another round. If that's the case, we will jump from focusing on the U.S. harvest right into a South American weather market. This could be a pretty volatile winter coming up. At the close, December futures were 12 and three quarter cents higher, settling at $5.39.5 per bushel. For soybeans, the U.S. yield reports have generally met or exceeded expectations in the various states, and that news kept bean prices in check. 75% of the soybean crop has now dropped its leaves, with 16% of the crop having been harvested and in the bin. At the close, the November soybean futures were 12.5 cents higher, ending the day at $12.87.75. Wheat was a mixed bag with Chicago lower and Kansas City and Minneapolis higher for this session. Weekly export inspections were very disappointing at 10.5 million bushels. We need to average 16.1 million per week to achieve the USDA's annual export projection. Winter wheat planting is moving ahead with 34% of the crop now planted and 8% of the winter wheat crop having emerged. At the close, we had Minneapolis December futures five and three quarter cents higher, closing at nine dollars twenty-one and three quarter cents per bushel. Kansas City was a penny higher as they settled at seven dollars twenty and three quarter cents, and Chicago futures were a penny and a half lower, closing out at seven dollars twenty-two and a quarter cents per bushel. Cotton continued to run higher as they set a new life of contract high in yesterday's trade. A cotton trader that I spoke with described this as a classic short squeeze of the December futures. He believes that the trade is caught short in the December futures and, and getting squeezed and thinks there could be some more upside to this market. He also noted that there's no long-term supply concern because the deferred futures months are not showing the same strength that we're seeing in December. At the close, we had December futures 206 points higher, settling at 98.25. Livestock futures were mixed in yesterday's session. At the close, we had December live cattle futures 35 cents lower, closing at $127.80. November feeder cattle were down to $3 limit as they settled at $155.57.5 per hundredweight. December lean hog futures had a great day. They are $4.75 higher, closing at $81.55 per hundred. Class 3 milk futures also were up fairly sharply. At the finish, we had November futures trading 32 points higher, settling at 17.28. And meat cutout values uh, had a a mixed session. Uh, We uh, had choice box beef ending the day 62 cents lower as they closed at 302.70. Select boxes were down 15 cents, settling at 274.38. Pork carcass cutout values, however, turned in another positive session. They were $1.18 higher for the day, settling at $111.95 per hundredweight. This has been Craig Haugard with your Financial Issues Ag Update. We'll be right back with more financial issues after this. Welcome back, Financial Issues. I'm Dan Celia. It's great to be here. Uh, we're going to get to phones. We, st- we still have a lot of other news that we can get to, but we've got a full board, so uh, we're going to try to do that, um, and we'll uh, continue to move forward. 610-363-1110. Let me go to um, Larry. Larry's calling us from Texas. Hey, Larry. 
Hi, Dan. Thank you very much for your ministry. Sure. A uh, couple, couple questions. Um, I'm weighted about 40% of my portfolio with CS25. And I know in the past uh, it's, it's been a good stock. Uh, but I have a financial advisor because I'm not real confident with everything yet. He's doing the rest of my portfolio and he's wanting to, me to sell part of this to get it down because he says you're weighted too heavy in that stock in particular. But I have a, another guy who's advertised on TV that their thing is, you know, they're, they're trying to, they say they make money when, the customer makes money. So I'm thinking whether I should shift from my financial advisor that I have now to this other person, but both of them want me to sell quite a bit of this CS25. I'm 66, retired. Um, I'd just like to know your thoughts on number one, whether I I should sell number two. Yeah, I can't speak to where you should go or who you should go to or anything like that. That's, that's just going to have to be, you know, what, what, where you feel comfortable. Um, I don't, you know, uh, I've, I've got, uh, well, I won't talk to that. I won't speak to that, but look, I, I would just say this, not, uh, you know, kind of um, understanding that really there isn't any stock in the world that I would ever feel comfortable having 40% of my portfolio in, for that matter, 15% of my portfolio. Um, I I just, I could never be comfortable with that. I don't care uh, how great a company it is, uh, how much I love it. I mean, I have had uh, companies that, you know, I've had on and off my buy list and companies that I own in my investment account, my IRA, that uh, I'm somewhat, I mean, I just really love, I love everything about them. But I, I I, would never, I would never, no matter what I think they're going to do, have that much. So just in general, regardless of the company, uh, it's just, it's just not a good policy to have that kind of waiting Um, the, you know, the ultimate goal ought to be by everybody is to be extremely well diversified. And the more diversified you are, the more safety you're going to have and the more balance you're going to be in through all kinds of circumstances. So, um, there is, there is no, no, uh, you know, way that you, you, should have that much. So, I mean, if you switch advisors, if you move, they're always going to have a long laundry list of things that you need to sell. And you need to understand that they make no money until they can start placing some trades and moving some things around. And, you know, they want you in their things, not you and your things. So they're all going to do that. Um, and they're going to lean towards other products too, like annuities and other things. So, I, I um, you know, it, it really is uh, up to you what you do there, but I would agree that you can't have uh, any any one position um, that is, you know, that that heavily weighted in your portfolio. That's all. That's really really dangerous. And I like that company. It happens to be a company that uh, I know very very well that I have traded for, I don't know, I'm going to say 30 years. Um, I knew uh, one of the uh, 
second generation founders goes by the name uh, there that who was a friend. Uh, I knew their management. I, I love the company and I still do because of the control they have in a particular um, in a in a particular commodity. So uh, but at the same time, I, I still wouldn't wouldn't love it. I hate to sell something that I would probably consider a buy right now based on circumstances. But at the same time, uh, it's it's probably the right right thing to do. Okay. Okay. Yep. Thank you very much. I appreciate uh, your ministry. Uh, and you're welcome. Partner for you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate Bye. that. God bless. Bye. Yep. All right. Uh, 610-363-1110. Uh, we also have Shanna with us. I, I uh, didn't realize. Shanna, welcome. Glad you're with us. <laughs> hey, good morning. Uh, thank you for that. And uh, I'm glad you're here. And, um, uh, you know, as I was speaking about financial uh, advisors. I tried not to be negative and I didn't even know you were on. So <laughs> I take no offense. <laughs> I, 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 I did it without even trying not to offend uh, you. So that makes me feel pretty good. Like I was really... I take no offense because was, I'm not guilty. <laughs> good, that's true. You are not. So I should be concerned about what I say, uh, which I'm not really. You know I'm not. But anyway, why don't you give us your disclaimer Why why one before we get cranked up here. Yep. So I am a financial advisor in private practice. Securities are offered through GA Ruppel and Company, a registered broker dealer and investment advisor, members of FINRA and SIPC. Good deal. So, um, you know, it's really uh, the, the one thing I didn't say in, uh, to that caller, which I don't, you know, I, I just make an assumption that they already know that. But the other thing that you've got to think about is, are you truly and are you really sold out to be biblically responsible and to honor God? Mm -hmm. And I can tell you uh, 99.5% of the time, you're not going to be biblically responsible um, with some somebody else managing your money. Now, they may uh, confuse or help confuse you. That socially conscious is the same as biblically responsible. Uh, it really isn't. It's not even close. So ESG is the term that they use. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. So don't don't get don't get confused by that because it is uh, it is not the case at all. And um, the reason I kind of um, don't let them get away from the socially conscious term which is what it was before, um, you know, the the more kinder, gentler term, an acceptable term, is because it is socially conscious for the left to give money to Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. It is socially conscious for the left to support the redefinition of God's word. It is socially conscious for the left to support abortion in general. And so... Um, so remember when you think of that, um, so it would naturally be reasonable to make sure that you include, uh, a, uh, company that is including those very things I just mentioned as part of their, uh, philanthropy or maybe even a part of, um, how they profit. So we got to, and don't forget about the, the, um, environment too. 
Yeah. We've got yeah. to place the environment ahead of everything. Right. The environment is everything. That's right. So, um, you know, you don't want to buy any of those nasty energy stocks because <laughs> they're polluting the air or that great lumber commodity because they're cutting trees down. So, um, you know, we're going to see where the rubber meets the road here whenever they start feeling the impact and what you talked about in the first hour with their carbonated drinks and their, um, you know, fertilizer. not being able to humanely slaughter yeah, hum animals. We're right. going to we're going to see where the rubber meets the road here. They're going to have to make some decisions about what's really important. They are. And they unfortunately, they will never Pro they probably won't back down. So they'll allow the insanity to continue until people are literally starving because yields are down around the world so, so dramatically. I mean, you know, that, that's, that is probably a little bit of hyperbole because one would think that we're smart enough to, um, if nothing else, they'll ignore it and leave it alone and allow us to continue to do what is right to feed people and what um, uh, the reality is of our environment. But it is uh, it makes scare, me think of um, all of these meatless things that are coming about and how they're starting to make food out of things that aren't food. And what do they know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Meat out of vegetables. <laughs> You still uh, got to have vegetables. You still got to grow the vegetables. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you got to grow more now because you got to get make meat out of it. So, <laughs> oh, man, it's crazy. All right. Well, we'll go back to phones. Let me go to uh, Mary. Mary's calling from Oklahoma. Hi, Mary. Hi. This is Mary from Oklahoma. <laughs> Thank you. Glad I, you called. Yeah. I appreciate you and your uh, <clears throat> show directing us. To a closer Thank walk with God, I think that's a very important thing. Mm. Um, Thank you. I am a retiree mm -hmm. uh, and a widow, so my income is uh, first of all Social Security, and then my husband's got uh, a um, pension. Well, his pension was, I, I collected all of that because he passed away. Okay. Makes, and we got the whole sum, and now I've got 100000 in the bank. Mm -hmm. uh, I get um, my pension, which is like $600, and uh, another three from something else. Anyway, so basically I make about two five a month on my stuff, and then I have that that pension money sitting there in the bank. And I was wondering if that would be a good thing to put into um, an annuity account or something to make another money and still be able to know that it's not just sitting in. I have it in. Uh, it's making money because it's yeah. in my uh, account. It's not just a savings account. I don't know what it is. It's, yeah. It's a credit union, so I'm getting okay. like six a year on it. So but, are you, do you, but you have other monies aside from this money. You have a 401ks or IRAs or some other uh, monies besides this? No. No, this is all, okay. So 
I'm going to have to put you on hold, unfortunately, Mary. We're coming up against the break, and I and I do want to uh, give you some insight uh, on this. So let me uh, put you on hold, and we'll be back to you in a couple minutes. All right. All right, folks. Um, 610-363-1110. You can queue your call. We'll try to stay with calls. Um, we'll be back. Short break. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back, 610-363-1110. You know, he, he, I totally forgot. It's a very big piece of news. Uh, it's great, great news. I don't know if you've heard or they're talking about it. I, I'm, I assume it is on uh, some of the financial news anyway. But Ford Motor announced um, yesterday that they are investing 11 the General Insurance presents Shower Ballads by Shaq. And I'm gonna keep in you, cause it's the only thing I wanna do. Turns out, everyone does sound better in the shower. And it turns out, The General is a quality insurance company that's been saving people money for nearly 60 years. I don't wanna sleep, I just wanna keep you. For a great low rate and nearly 60 years of quality coverage, make the right call and go with The General. Some restrictions apply and a half billion dollars. They're building two EV factories, one in Tennessee and one in Kentucky. The Kentucky um, plant is going to be more of a battery, what do they call it? A battery um, campus, a battery, you know, uh, all everything battery uh, minded, they're forming a joint venture with a South Korean battery maker, and that's going to be in Kentucky. And they are building uh, manufacturing of only electric vehicles in Tennessee. So it's really good news. They are planning on um, employing. They they believe initially, just initially, these um, plants are going to employ. I'm looking for the number because I'm going from memory here, but I believe it's around 7,000 employees uh, in the two plants. So uh, they are making predictions that in 2030, that 45% of all their vehicles will be elect, uh, will be electric. So um, it is, they've already made a $7 billion uh, commitment uh, through 2025 for um, EV uh, cars and uh, trucks, mostly trucks, uh, and a $30 billion uh, commitment uh, totally. So it, it is a huge commitment and huge move. I've been waiting for this. I knew it was coming. And um, it is just uh, they, they, they're uh, an amazing car company and they're forward thinking. And the thing that I love most about them is they never show their hand. When everybody else is talking about how wonderful the things are they're going to do, uh, Ford just crickets and until they are 100% ready and then they they bring it out. So it's really uh, some cool stuff and it's great. It's really going to be good for Tennessee. It's really going to be good for Kentucky. 
Uh, both of them are right-to-work states, so the unions are probably freaking out about now. And um, so it's great stuff. So it's good. So uh, an American icon uh, getting better. So that's always good news. I wish they would be biblically responsible. Uh, so do I. And I'm, I, I really, uh, in all honesty, I'm still working on it. And I finally, just two months ago, uh, made some headwinds, you know, uh, headway. They've had um, they've had a, a change in management, and I was really doing well. And then they changed management, and it. Um, so unfortunately, when a when a, um, a president changes in a company, uh, all of the senior executives change. Some of them get uh, reassigned. Some of them get promoted. Some of them go with uh, the former, you know, president, and everything. The whole pocket stirred. And so I hate that. That's the exact same thing that happened to me with a large bank that I was working with. Now, they were a little different. They actually got bought out. But um, the person, the company that they got bought out by is a huge, huge uh, supporter of Planned Parenthood. And they weren't going to budge. So I I backed away and gave up on them. But I'm glad I stuck with Ford because I finally did make some some headway. So I'm hoping that I can continue to do that in light of all this. So we'll see. Anyway, good news, good stuff. Yep. All right. Let me uh, go to uh, back to Mary. Mary. um, So I would be concerned about you trying to create permanent income, Uh, not income, not trying to create income, but I wouldn't want you to do a product to do it. My, When you were talking, I was asking you those questions, do you have other monies? And I was going to suggest to you that a charitable uh, gift annuity would be an ideal situation for you based on the fact that you want permanent income and uh, you can do the Lord's work at the same time and do yeah. that. But I wouldn't want you to take readily the only real readily available uh, funds and put it into something that would um, obviously tie up those funds and you wouldn't be able to get, have access to them. So that's, that's why uh, I was asking those questions. So I think the, what you need to do is still create income with it, and you can create as much income that you might elsewhere, but you have to do it in a series of a portfolio <clears throat> of various uh, kinds of companies that can generate income for you. So you're going to have a portfolio with some utility stocks in it, some you know industrial stocks and other things that are paying dividends dividends that could maybe average you, you have some that'll pay you five and some that'll pay you, you know, five, five percent, some will pay you three and a half percent, but hopefully you can average a good four percent or maybe a little more off of that. And of course, more as things change and go up. So that's what you need to do. And um, it might not be something that you want to do, but, um, you know, certainly you can, uh, spend some time in partnering with the ministry and go through an income portfolio and go through all of that. Many, many people have done that uh, to with a great deal of success. You probably, you might be in a situation where you say, well, I don't know anything about it, but you would learn 
Trust me, it's pretty well uh, laid out. But you can also go to, uh, and uh, you know, somebody like Shanna is the only one you know that that I would trust. But to keep you biblically responsible, and uh, let that you know, let let somebody like that work with you on doing that. But I think that's your that's your best option if you're trying to generate some more income. And I probably would make sure that some of that, 15% of it anyway, would stay in something pretty liquid as cash. Okay. I was working on an an income portfolio just yesterday, and there's some really great dividend-paying stocks on the list right now that are uh, are. yielding a lot more than we've seen lately. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, there really are. And um, I I, uh, just added uh, one of those uh, not added the stock, but added uh, more position to one of those uh, in my own uh, IRA. So, yeah, there's a lot of good things out there. Um, but I would look at that, uh, Mary. I think that might be your best bet. Okay, and that keeps it liquid enough for me to use it or? Yeah, so what would happen is the money would, you would, I mean, what I would want you to do is actually take the income. Not just let it accumulate. I would like to. I would like you to take it. You may not need it, but take it. Put it in your savings. Use it for your giving. Put it in, uh, you know, your checking account, and use it to pay your bills. But I would want you to take it on a regular basis. The main reason is it takes your focus off the performance of the portfolio, and you get to realize, actually, feel your money working for you, and it gives you a whole different perspective about investing. And it and it really is a, a, a great place to be. But the money in there will still be accessible. So if you said, hey, you know, I need um, X amount of dollars because I'm going on a trip or I need to do something, you, you would be able to get to that. Okay. Well, right now I'm 70. I've gone through cancer. I'm still taking cancer treatment in a little bit, but uh, not much. But again... I, I'm thinking we're at the end of this, and I, I would like to be able to be responsible with this hundred thousand that my husband's left for me to go ahead and do things with. Yeah. So, where would I look into that at? Well, I'll put you on hold, and Darlene will will um, give you a phone number um, if you want to do it. Uh, build it from partnering with the ministry and on our website. There's an income portfolio there that is all the way at the bottom of our pie charts, and it's an income portfolio. And you would begin to, by watching videos, uh, the instructional videos, reading everything, and start gradually. You would open an account at a brokerage like a fidelity.com. You can do that online and you would open um, an account to do that. And uh, you can move the money from your credit union to that account. It'll sit in a money market account uh, until you're ready to start investing. And um, you can call here and we'll help you guide, uh, guide you through it. But um I would uh, look, go to financialissues.org and just click become a partner and that will 
help you along. I don't want to sound self-serving. I just want to help you. And it will be some help. And you can set it up wherever you want. You don't have to use Fidelity, whatever other brokerage. Maybe you already have a brokerage account somewhere else. But um, it just has to be, you just have to have the ability to, um, you know, add in these additional stocks. Okay. All right. I think you I'll put you on hold. Yes, absolutely. So hold on. All right, folks, uh, 610-363-1110. Uh, we will <clears throat> get back to phones right after this. Awful lot going on this week. This is a pivotal week to give us some understanding insights, insights we might not even want to our economy. Uh, I would mention to you again, think about coming alongside us, our platform, and all that we're doing for the kingdom. We sure would appreciate it. The opinions and recommendations expressed by Dan are his own and do not necessarily represent the opinions of this station or any of the show's sponsors. All right, let me get back to phones. Um, Let me go to um, Jan. Jan's calling us from Maryland. Hi, Jan. Hi, Dan. Um, uh, We, my husband and I are partners, and um, we're both in our mid-30s. I'm 37, he's 36. Okay. Um, we both have IRAs and we also have a separate investment account. Um, I called you about a year ago because um, my husband had an option to um, invest in the stock option in his company. The company, I think, is on your computer. Yes. Um, so we're up about 150% from that. We can buy, We can basically invest each paycheck and then they buy it all every six months. Okay. So the question is, do we, um, at what point do we sell that? Because it's, it's not on any of your lists. So we want to, you know, make sure that um, we're diversifying it. What point do we sell those stocks and then reinvest them or use the money some other way? Yeah. So I, I don't, I'm not sure whether it's just because it's not on my list doesn't mean it isn't biblically responsible. It certainly could be. And um, I am hemming and hauling here because I'm trying to, I'm trying to find out here and uh, why I'm talking to you, but uh, my computer is not cooperating. So I wouldn't um, say that it is, you know, definitely not biblically responsible. The I would imagine that you get some sort of discount or your company gives his company gives some sort of discount to uh, the purchase of that. And that is one of the reasons why you you know, that's that's helping you dramatically be up. The But the one thing that I would say, I don't know that it would be wise. There would be wisdom in selling it all. But there would be wisdom in cutting it back because you don't want all of your eggs in that one particular basket. You need to diversify uh, and get other positions that are on the site. I would assume you have some sort of brokerage account, right? Or does the company hold that stock? We have a separate brokerage account that's ours that we put money into and invest using your um, your your stock list. 
But is that particular stock, where is that being held? Do you so know? this one is, is in his company, but we are we do have access. As soon as they buy the, the shares, we have access to sell it whenever we want and then move that money where we want it to be. Okay, so is that a 401k? It's a, it's a fidelity account. It's in a fidelity account. No. So he has a separate 401k. Okay. And then this is um, a separate. A stock option plan. Yeah. It comes Mm -hmm. out of his pay every, I got it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, I would, I would um, definitely, I don't know. I would look at your portfolios. Okay. Your your 401k, your, your, um, your other account that you have that you're following along with us. And Mm -hmm. I would look at what percentage this is. So if it's, you know, if it's $10,000 worth of stock, what percentage of that, what percentage is that of all of your money added up? Um, What does that look like? And I think it would be, uh, you know, so I suspect it's probably a significant portion, uh, a pretty high percentage but maybe not. And, and I think it would be, um, I, I need, I can't get this, um, symbol or names to come up, to come up, uh, T H R Y V. And, um, is that the name of the company or is that the actual symbol of the stock you own? That's the name of the company. Yeah. So I, I, it's not usually when I put that in, it would come up with the name of a company. I so, think the symbol is... Evaluator T-H-Y. is screen and clean. What, what is it? What's the symbol, do you think? I believe it's T-H-Y on the stock exchange. Okay. T-H-Y. I know T-H-Y. Okay. Yeah. Um, so it's... Um, what did you say, see, Shanna? Did you look at it? I see T H R Y is screen and clean on evaluator. Yeah, yeah. I think it is uh, uh, biblically responsible, so you don't have to worry about that. So I would keep I would keep a portion of it, but I think you need to just take a look at what the percentage is, and you need to continue to keep buying it. I would I would continue to buy it. Um. And maybe what you can do as well is instead of selling it, see if they'll let you transfer it over into your, your brokerage account. And, um, you can, you can do that as well. And that'll get it, get it into your account and help you track it better and have a little more control over it. So I would do that for sure. And then you can determine Uh, when to sell it. Okay. So the other question is, because I know um, with tax implications, if you own it over a year, then the percentage goes down with the current tax laws. Would you recommend, because they they purchase them once every six months, um, just waiting for a year to see where it's at and then selling it? or Yes, I would always wait. I wouldn't pay the additional capital gains tax um, if if there is gain. But yeah, I wouldn't do that. So if you can transfer it over there, you wouldn't have to sell it. They would move it. It's called an in-kind transaction. So they just move the stock over to your account 
so that you can kind of watch it and know when to sell it. Uh, but they might not do that, uh, but they they probably will. It sounds like they will. So you also want to make sure you out. don't have any restrictions on the time to sell it. Well, no, the, I think you already said that, right, Jan, that you, yeah, it's, uh, it's um, six months. Well, it's, um, you know, they buy it every six months. So even though every paycheck they're taking money out, they buy it every six months. Every so six months, so it's yeah. Based on, it's based on the six-month mark of Average. when. Yeah. Um, yeah, but um, but as soon as they buy it, and we have access. We could sell it the next day if we wanted right. to. We just have to wait six months for them to buy all of the shares at one time. Right. Gotcha. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I think you definitely don't want to sell it right away. You want to you want right. to hold on to it. Yep. And some of and it then, you might you might want to hold on to it for an indefinite period of time as part of your portfolio, which would make sense. Right. And then you said, so looking at the percentage, what would be a good percentage of our entire portfolio to kind of well, keep it I, under? Well, I wouldn't, I, just because you're getting this at a six-month average price all the time, which is probably uh, really good for the stock, and mm-hmm. I would make sure that it's in the right sector, that you're watching the sector and you're not really uh, overloading the sector too much, which you would be, but I wouldn't want you to overload it more than 15%. Um, okay. So I would watch that. So um, I would I would track it more as the sector than than anything, and just try to keep it, um, you know, in and around that range. And I would be okay going that high because of mm-hmm. the discount you're buying it and and the ease in which you're buying it. So yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much. All right, Jan. Thank you. I appreciate it. Great. Yep. Great question. I appreciate it. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Bye. Yep. Um, let me go to Brian from Illinois. Hi, Brian. Yes. Good morning, Dan. Good morning, Brian. Shanna. Is this morning. my yes. friend? Uh, is this my friend Brian from Southern Illinois? Yes, it is. Okay, just checking. Yeah. Hey, uh, I got a question. I'm 53 years old. Uh-huh. Um, back in April of 2020, I had purchased. Uh, a considerable amount of stocks in various sectors. Uh-huh. I'm up uh, 40 plus in uh, various sectors. Uh, I haven't bought anything here recently because my cost basis is so low. Um, my question would, to you would be is, do I take the profit uh, off the cost cost basis? And do I also take profit from the foundational stocks or do I leave the foundationals be? I I wouldn't take profits. You don't take profits from the foundationals, leave them alone. I don't know if I would take this profit either, uh, Brian. I think you might want to leave it alone. I think it would make good sense to just let it ride at this point. Um, You've got a pretty well diverse portfolio and I think that it's it's okay because these stocks will become somewhat foundational to you. You indicate how low your cost basis is. And so when when you have a low cost basis right now, stocks will these companies are going to put in new bottoms. So they're going to let's just say we have a correction in the market and let's say the correction is 20% you're probably still going to be up. 
And that's going to be kind of a new bottom for the stock. And the odds of that uh, slipping below that for any length of time is going to be very, very slim. And they become very foundational to your portfolio. So I wouldn't add to them. I wouldn't buy them. I wouldn't dollar cost average up. I would I would just leave them alone. I would let the profit ride. And whatever you do, don't get discouraged because we have a correction and it dips 20% and you think, boy, I should have got it. I should have bought you know, I should have sold it when I could um, because you're really a lot better off. You've got a lot of time. I would just I would just leave them alone. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you, Thank you Brian. Much, I appreciate it. Thank you. God bless. All right, folks. Coming up at the end of this hour, we've got another hour left. Stay with us. 610-363-1110. We've got lines open. If you got to leave us, I hope you have a wonderful day. Thank you for being with us. Please. Pray about supporting our ministry. We got three days left to the end of the year, and we hope you can come alongside us. We'll be back after this. Have a great day. God bless. Jesus said, go sell all that you have. Give it to the poor. Take up the cross. Follow me. It's not your money I want. I want your heart. Thank you for joining us. This has been an FISM production. Live music is back. Where? In Chattanooga, of course. Now through September, we invite you to check out our Live Music is Back summer series. You don't want to miss amazing musicians jamming all over town, in our restaurants, in our streets, and at our most popular venues. Musical magic for every age, every taste, every way you move. Sponsored by Chattanooga Tourism Company and the soundtrack of America made in Tennessee. For more information, go to visit Chattanooga.com slash live music. episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. I'm your host, Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter. It took less than a year for scientists to develop and distribute COVID-19 mRNA vaccines, with public reactions to this quick turnaround ranging from fascination to fear. But it turns out the technology at work in these vaccines comes from years of scientific research. In her 2021 TED Monterey talk, engineer, teacher, and innovator Catherine A. Whitehead breaks down how and why the success of the COVID-19 mRNA vaccines will pave the way for future generations to treat or even cure future diseases. What if I told you that the pandemic will save the lives of millions of people? It's a difficult thing to consider, given how many loved ones we've already lost. But throughout the course of human history, Massive public health crises have resulted in innovation in healthcare and technology. For example, the Black Death gave rise to the Gutenberg Press, and the 1918 flu pandemic 
led to modern vaccine technology. The COVID-19 pandemic has and will be no different. Just look at our vaccines, normally developed over many years, and the mRNA vaccines were deployed in a mind-blowing 11 months. How is that even possible? It was possible because scientists have been working for many years to get us to the point where we could use mRNA quickly in an emergency situation. Specifically, we've been working on how to help mRNA with its biggest problem, which is that it doesn't normally go to the right places inside of our bodies. Fortunately, we got around that problem just in time, and I'd like to tell you about the technology that we use to do it. When mRNA is administered, it's injected into our muscles or our bloodstream, but we actually need it to go inside of our cells. Unfortunately, mRNA is fragile, and our bodies will destroy it before it goes very far. You can think of mRNA like a glass vase that you'd like to send in the mail. Without a box and bubble wrap, it'll break long before it's been delivered. And without an address on the box, your postal delivery service will have no idea where to take it. And so if we're going to use mRNA as a therapeutic, it needs our help. It needs protection, and it needs to be told where to go. And that's where I come in. For over five decades, scientists and engineers like myself have been creating the shipping materials for nucleic acid drugs like DNA and RNA. Through trial and error, we've created packages that deliver intact faces to the wrong address, that deliver to the right address, but with a broken vase, packages that get ripped apart by attacking dogs, and packages that throw out the mail carrier's back. It's taken many years to get the science right. Let me tell you the result. These tiny balls of fat that we call lipid nanoparticles. Let me tell you what they are and how they work. So first of all, nano just means really, really small. Think of how small a person is compared to the diameter of the Earth. That's how small a nanoparticle is compared to the person. These nanoparticles are made up of several fatty molecules called lipids. Fat is an awesome packing material, nice and bouncy. Interestingly, our cells are also surrounded by fat to keep them flexible and protected. Years ago, scientists had the idea to create lipid nanoparticles that would act like a Trojan horse. Because the lipids in the nanoparticle look similar to the membranes that surround our cells, the cells are willing to bring the nanoparticle inside, and that's when the mRNA is released into the cell. So what exactly are the lipids in these nanoparticles? There are four ingredients in addition to the mRNA, and I'll tell you about each one. First, there's a lipid called a phospholipid. This is the primary ingredient in our cell membranes, which are the walls of fat that separate the insides of our cells from everything that surrounds them. Phospholipids have a head that likes water and a tail that likes other fatty things. So when you throw a bunch of phospholipids together in water, 
they form this beautiful structure called a lipid bilayer. In lipid nanoparticles, phospholipids have a similar role of keeping all of the other ingredients organized. Second, there's a lipid called cholesterol. Why, if cholesterol has a bad reputation, would we want to use it in a therapeutic nanoparticle? It turns out that while cholesterol can be bad when it's in our bloodstream, it's actually a really good thing for our cell membranes. And that's because those phospholipids I just told you about, they are entirely too free with themselves and they are prone to falling apart. Cholesterol is a stiff molecule that wedges itself in between the other lipids to fill in the gaps and hold them all together. It plays a similar role in our lipid nanoparticles. It provides structural support so the nanoparticles don't fall apart in between the injection and when they get into our cells. Third, there's a lipid called an ionizable lipid. Here, ionizable means that when these particles are in the bloodstream, they're neutrally charged, which helps with their safety. Then they switch to a positive charge inside of our cells, which helps them release the mRNA. Ionizable lipids are special because they have to be made in a lab and scientists around the world have tested tens of thousands of these materials to find ones that are good at delivering mRNA safely. And because they're made in the lab, they tend to be proprietary to the company that invented them. So, for example, Moderna and BioNTech, the company that partnered with Pfizer, they discovered different ionizable lipids. And that is the only important ingredient in their COVID-19 vaccines that differ. And even then, their ionizable lipids aren't even that different, which is reassuring because when independent groups of scientists converge on similar solutions, it's easier to trust the result. Finally, one more ingredient. This one is a polymer called polyethylene glycol. So let's call it PEG. That's much easier. So PEG is a water-loving molecule, okay? So it surrounds the lipid nanoparticle and it holds it all together. You can think of the other three lipids as the box and the bubble wrap for the mRNA and the PEG as the packing tape. You may have heard in the news about a tiny fraction of people that have allergic responses to the vaccine. There is some evidence that PEG could be contributing to these allergic reactions. And that's because people are routinely exposed to PEG in cosmetic and household products and some people have already developed antibodies against PEG. But why would this happen to some people and not to others? It turns out that every person's immune system is different in just the same way that some people are allergic to latex, other people are allergic to PEG. It's important to keep in mind, however, that PEG has had a long history of safe use as part of FDA-approved drug formulations. And these vaccine allergies could be caused by things other than PEG. More research is needed to get to the bottom of these side effects. All right, so let's take a step back and look at our whole nanoparticle. When these ingredients all fit together nicely, the result is a delivery woman's dream. 
In the case of the vaccines, after these nanoparticles get injected into our muscle, they take the mRNA into our cells. There, the mRNA acts like an instruction manual that tells our cells to make a foreign protein, in this case, the coronavirus spike protein. When our immune cells see the spike protein, they rush to protect us from it, and they teach themselves to remember it so that they can kill it if it ever returns. As we speak, the mRNA vaccines are out there, saving lives from the coronavirus. They were our first and best tool to combat this nightmare, and they are our best hope of responding swiftly to viral variants because we can keep our lipid nanoparticle packaging the same, and all we have to do is swap out the mRNA that's inside. But here's the best part. For mRNA therapeutics, these vaccines are only the beginning. mRNA can be used to treat or cure many diseases. So in the future, we will likely have treatments for many terrible diseases, including cystic fibrosis, muscular dystrophy, and sickle cell anemia. These diseases are caused by mutated proteins, and we can use mRNA to ask ourselves to make the correct version of these proteins. We'll have treatments for cancer, breast, blood, lungs, you name it. We'll use mRNA to teach our immune cells how to find and kill cancer cells. And then, if we're lucky, we'll have vaccines against some of the most deadly and feared pathogens across the globe, including malaria, Ebola, and HIV. Some of these products are already in clinical trials, and the success of the COVID-19 vaccines will pave the way for future generations of these therapies. This is how the pandemic will save the lives of millions. It catalyzed the most rapid vaccine development in history and brought to life a niche, previously unapproved form of technology. And in our desperation, we gave that technology a chance. Now, we're collecting long-term safety and efficacy data from hundreds of millions of people. And with these data, interest in the technology, funding for the technology, and trust in the technology will continue to grow. Looking ahead, the packaging and delivery of mRNA to the right organs and tissues will continue to be one of the most significant challenges to implementing this technology. And so my colleagues and I are going to be busy for a very long time. Ultimately, I'm here with a message of hope. We are on the cusp of a revolution. mRNA is about to change the world forever, and it's all thanks to these fatty little balls that take this miracle medicine to exactly where it's needed. Thank you. Download our app in iTunes and the Google Play Store.
Tuesday, September 28th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Mr. Jason Moser. Good to see you. Good to see you. We have the business of entertainment. We have a really good version of the when to buy question, but we're going to start with the latest from the war on cash. MasterCard is getting into the buy now, pay later industry. MasterCard installments is the program that will be launching next quarter in the US, Australia, and the UK. We're not surprised, are we? I mean, <laughs> given given how much attention this nascent industry has gotten and all the different businesses plowing into it, wasn't it just going to be a matter of time before MasterCard jumped in? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, th- there was language in, in previous earnings calls that uh, suggested they were making some investments in this space. Uh, you, you know, Chris, Ricky Bobby's father once told him, if you ain't first, you're last. Uh, what I think we're seeing here in the buy now, pay later space is that's not necessarily the case, right? It, it, it doesn't really matter who was first to this space because now we're seeing just this influx of all sorts of of companies wanting to participate and i think that in mastercard's case this shows the power of of such a massive network and and how difficult it is to disrupt uh all they have to do is kind of see where the puck is going and then start making those investments and then they plug it into this massive network and boom, you've got a whole new feature. And that's ultimately what BNPL is, right? Buy now, pay later. It's a feature. Um, and I don't mean to take anything away from a business like a firm uh, because I, I do think a firm is a good business. But it, it struck me in thinking about a firm uh, going back to, I think it was some, maybe it was last week's Motley Fool Money when we were talking with Emily about Stitch Fix. Mm-hmm. And you, you had noted, I, I thought it was a good way of, of looking at it. You know, there's there's a floor and there's a ceiling, right? It's not a business that's going to zero. I mean, a firm's a good business, but I think given where a firm is today, you know, maybe there is a ceiling if you're just going to be a buy now, pay later company. So for something like a firm, you want to see them branch out and do other things, whereas MasterCard has already branched out and done a bunch of other things. And this is just going to be one more thing that they do. Um, I think it makes perfect sense. It's a very uh, little bet, as they like to say on their part. Uh, because you remember MasterCard, this they don't lend, right? This is not something where they're actually putting up money. They're essentially just creating the tool, the technology for other uh, participants to be able to plug it into their system. So, you get Barclays, U.S., Consumer Bank, SoFi, Synchrony, Marketa. I mean, these are all companies that are going to be using this MasterCard technology uh, to incorporate buy now, pay later into their models. Uh, so, so I, I think it makes perfect sense. It's not a surprise. I'm glad to see them doing it. Um, and hey, you know what? They didn't have to acquire Afterpay for $29 billion to do it, Chris. I want to go back to something you touched on early in your answer, which is the idea of first mover advantage. yeah. And I'm not belittling first mover advantage, but I would use this instead as an opportunity to caution investors. If you are making up a list of reasons why you are buying a business, and somewhere on that list is, this company has first mover advantage, you should stop for just a minute and ask yourself, how sustainable is that advantage? Because there there are some times in history where first mover advantage is real and meaningful. Yeah. Uh, this seems like one of those industries where the shelf life of first mover advantage isn't that long. Yeah, I mean I think I think you really it just boils down to how replicable is 
the advantage, right? I mean, with something like this, I mean, BNPL is 100% replicable. I mean, it's just, you know, and so we, that, that's why we've seen so many companies uh, jump into the space because it's it's essentially easy enough for them to do. Um, the, the, more, the more difficult it gets, the more IP that is involved, right? I mean, it, oftentimes uh, it becomes a little bit more difficult to replicate, and that's where a first mover advantage can certainly play a greater role. But yeah, I, I think that's a great point. I mean, first mover, yeah, you love to see it. Um, it it's not always uh, something that means you've immediately got a great investment uh, on your hands there. Um, you know, I, I think it's it's so it's so interesting to look at how this buy now pay later space is evolving, and and to see how different participants can win in different ways. Because if we just assume for a second that Mastercard never even did this, if we just say that Mastercard says, you know what, we don't even want to bother with it, we don't think it's that big of a deal, we'll pass. Well, <clears throat> if you look at a firm's website and and you look at the ways that you can pay for your installments. And this is a straight quote from from a firm's website. You can pay with your debit card or checking account for all the firm purchases uh, on a a firm.com or in the app. You can also mail us a check for some purchases. You can also pay by credit card for the down payment and installments. Well, you know what? MasterCard does credit cards and debit cards. And that's part of the idea behind this is they saw a lot of data that was telling them that people were using their MasterCards already to either make down payments or the installment payments. So they were already a beneficiary of this industry to an extent. This expands that opportunity for them for sure, uh, but but it just goes to show that even though they weren't really participating, they were. And they were benefiting from all of that data from this massive network. It helps them just make very informed and educated decisions, uh, which is, is is one of the reasons why you know, I, I, I remain a MasterCard shareholder and, and extremely bullish on, on the stock for the long term. Spotify has launched its first global brand campaign in an effort to win over advertisers. Part of the effort is changing the name of its advertising business from Spotify Advertising to Spotify for Brands. And I know, Jason, when company look, marketing spend is a lever that companies can control. And we've seen examples over the years of companies sort of pulling back on their marketing spend uh, to save money, make their uh, quarterly report look a little bit more profitable. I think if you're a Spotify shareholder, you got to feel good about this effort. You have to like this effort, because this is a stock that's basically been flat for the past 12 months, when the S&P 500 is up about 25 or 30%. So, this is, to me, Spotify looking at their business and saying, we can and should be doing a better job here. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree totally. I mean, I think um, I think many probably see Spotify as a music streaming service first and foremost, and, and I know that they're ultimately trying to present themselves as as an audio company, right? It's not just music. I mean, it's podcasts as well. Uh, going going kind of back to that to that size of the network uh, thing that we were talking about with MasterCard Spotify is getting to a point where their network is so big they're they're going to be able to to try a lot of new things and really push uh, new features out to a lot of of uh, folks they have a meaningful audience and and so this makes perfect sense I think what we're seeing ultimately is the the evolution of Spotify to me this is a straight up entertainment company so I think it I think it transcends 
just music and podcasts. I mean, they're incorporating more video into into the app. I mean, there are going to be a lot of different things they can do, a lot of potential avenues they can pursue with this user base. And the user base itself is just tremendous. If you look at the way these numbers break down, so total users now at 365 million, that's versus 299 million a year ago. Now, if you break that down, premium subscribers uh, make up about 165 million, right? And that grew from 138 million just a year ago. But ad supported monthly active users now stand at 210 million. So they have more ad supported users than they do premium subscribers. The flip side of that is that. The premium subscribers account for 88% of the total revenue for the company, for the business, right? So they are very much still reliant on that subscriber base. But we're seeing uh, a trend in their advertising business gaining some traction. Advertising still makes up a very small percentage of the overall revenue, but it's now 12%. That was versus 7% a year ago. So they're seeing that they're gaining some traction in this ad space. And a lot of that has been with these big brands that can afford to jump on a platform that can be a little bit more difficult to measure at times, right? If you have a Twitter or a Facebook or something like that, where you're measuring clicks, Google, I mean, it, those clicks are a bit more uh, tangible, so to speak, right? It's a bit more obvious in the measurement there versus something like uh, listening. And you can't quite, can't quite fully understand the return you might be getting on that investment. So I think that's one of the hurdles they're going to have to clear uh, is, is, is coming up with the tools for those, those marketers to really be able to measure. But it absolutely makes sense to pursue uh, this big market opportunity, because when you look at the overall uh, amount of money that is is flowing into to podcasts, for example. I mean, U.S. ad revenue from podcasts grew to $842 million in 2020. It's, it's set to top $1 billion this year, and it's forecast to reach $2 billion by 2023. That's, that's a lot of opportunity. They're not just for Spotify, but for all of those podcasters out there on Spotify, right? It just, it's, it's an opportunity for you to monetize your show or your content uh, in a meaningful way, if you're producing good stuff, you got to expand that audience uh, to do it. And it sounds like that's what they're uh, that's what gonna that's what they're gonna try to tackle. Our Twitter handle, speaking of Twitter, is market at marketfoolery. Um, you can tweet at us as Colin did when he asked, "How do you know when to quit buying?" <laughs> I bought App Harvest at fourteen dollars a share. I'm in for the long game, and I bought more when it dropped to eight dollars. My desired Position size is full. I'm currently down over 40%, but I want more at a lower price. How do you decide to quit, monitor, and when to buy again? Uh, thank you for that, Colin. And he's asking about App Harvest. He could be asking about any stock. We've gotten the, yeah. a, a version of this question about so many different companies over the year, over the years, where it's and and I think you and I both identify with this situation. We've both been in this position before, where you <clears throat> bought a stock. It dropped, and then it's like, well, now I can now I can lower my cost. But I like I, nothing has changed with the business. I still, all of the reasons that I bought this business are still there for me. I'm in it for the long haul. Why wouldn't I buy at a lower price? Although, I I will just say before I hand it over to you, I have contemplated sort of that third bite at the apple. I've never done that before. I, to me, it's just like, no, I bought it at a lower price. I'm only going to do that once. But that's just me. Well, and, and I mean, you so you exercise some willpower, is what you're saying. 
It, well, in terms of like buying it a third time, yeah, I have. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I, and I don't, I don't want to simplify the answer because I think it's a really good question, Colin. And thankfully, uh, for you at least, I, I can speak to this one with, with just exact, direct experience because. I, I essentially did the same thing. I mean, I, I bought App Harvest around fourteen dollars, and, and after the earnings release and this this sort of restructuring or evolution of the business, and the stock took took a big hit. I added a little bit more to fill out my position, so I'm right there with you. I can feel your pain right now uh, in in that that you're down forty uh, percent. Uh, but I mean, back to the back to the to the question, knowing when to quit. I think, I mean, it does require willpower. I mean, you have to be able to focus on your process and not the outcome. It's very easy as investors to get ahead of ourselves, to see that finish line and taste almost the riches from these great ideas, right? But but you do have to stay focused on the process and understand that it takes time. So something like App Harvest, for example, because that's what you that's what you targeted in the question there. App Harvest is is I, I would put there I, I would put that up there with one of the riskier ideas today. Um, it, just in that it is a brand new company to the public markets. It is literally just now starting to to generate revenue. Uh, it is it is trying to disrupt an industry that is sorely in need of disruption, utilizing technology to improve our food supply chain. So you have to be able to look at something like App Harvest as. And I've told this to our members before. I've said you've got to just commit to being able to own this stock for five years, and and ignoring those twenty percent drops, being down forty percent. You have to be able to to go ahead and just and just understand that's going to happen. Um, I think that diversification helps. I think that when you know that you have other businesses in your portfolio that you can pay attention to and follow, and and, and you're seeing some some winners maybe that are helping to offset some of those losers, I think it, it that can help distract you. It can help take your mind elsewhere. Um, but that it's also really, I think, just about setting up expectations from the get-go, setting the appropriate expectations up front when you invest in a given company, understanding what type of a business it is, where it falls on the risk spectrum. How much you're willing to invest in it, and then being able to say, you know what, that's where I draw the line. No one to say when, right? It, it's it's not easy. I'm not saying it is. I think it gets easier the more that you do it. Uh, it's always tempting to want to add uh, on on the dip, but you also have to recognize. I mean, this is a business that falls on the higher end of the, of that risk spectrum, so you need to account for that and, and position size accordingly. And you don't want this to be the way you're investing all the time like if you're like this yeah. this to me is one of those situations for investors that you want to be rare if you're if you're an investor you don't want to be habitually in this situation yeah and i mean you look at something like app harvest and you you go into this when i say setting those appropriate expectations i mean you invest in a business like this expecting that in 5 years time it's going to look like a much different company um, it, it's just going to be different than what we see today, and, and, and I mean that in a good way. And we saw signs of that from from that most recent earnings report, where where they are they're they're reorganizing the business in such a way to to I think open up more windows of opportunity. Uh, but but yeah, I mean you, you don't. You just don't want to put yourself in a position where you feel like you have to keep averaging down. 
just to get back to even, right? I know some people love to do that, and, and then that's really that's really not the point. It, it does it does get easier the more you do it, but I, I really do believe that, that diversification helps that a lot. I think that when you have more companies in your portfolio and you can focus on other winners, uh, that, that can help take your attention off of some of those other uh, companies that may not be doing so well in the near term, right? And, and understanding that, that this is this is truly going to be a minimum five-year uh, story, hopefully much longer. But but uh, understanding that from the get-go, and, and then yeah, you just got to have a little bit of willpower to be able to tell yourself not to click that buy button again. Keep the tweets coming. Keep the emails coming to marketfoolery at fool.com. Before we wrap up, programming note, but, but not our program. Uh, tonight at 7 o'clock on ESPN, there's going to be a one-hour E60 special documentary on the 20-year anniversary of Pardon the Interruption. So, uh, I know I'm going to be sitting in front of my television watching that at 7 o'clock. <laughs> I want to give a quick shout-out to Eric Ridehome, Matt Kelleher, the whole crew at PTI. 20 years, over 5,000 episodes. Yeah, it's we, I mean, earlier this year, uh, we had our 2,000th on this show. Industry Focus just had its 2,000. We know what it takes to do 2,000 episodes. 5,000 plus. Just incredible. It is. It really is. And, and we've 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 been able to benefit from a lot of Eric's guidance along the way too. I mean, what a what a friendly what a friendly guy, and what a what a tremendous uh, guy to have in your corner. Jason Moser, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about on the Motley Fool. May have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Sign up for the newsletter so you never miss an update. advised that this podcast is meant for educational and informational purposes only and is in no way a replacement for legal or medical advice. The opinions contained within are solely those of the interviewers and interviewees and should be received as so. Those seeking help or advice are encouraged to obtain professional legal and medical services.